have. I got a story for you. I mean, if you're going to do the damn thing, you do the damn thing. And today's guest definitely does his damn thing wherever he is. Whether it's wrestling a gator in a target retention pond for snatching his dog, or riding as the rear gunner with special forces through Middle Eastern mountain ranges. He's going all out, all the time. Unless it's a Thursday night with the boys in Afghanistan. But first, a word from today's sponsor, Andre Psyche. AndrePsyche.com is gone, but Andre Psyche on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is alive and thriving. You see, dear listener, Andre has adopted a minimalistic lifestyle for materialistic things like pillows, mattresses, cars, his hair, websites. However, his creative libido, which has never been accused of being minimalistic, is fully stimulated and viewable on most social media platforms. Andre is a freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, sculptures, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up, Andre Psyche, the next time you're looking to friend or follow someone outside of your social circle. We are also brought to you by Dewey Crush, the taste of summer. Summer's most sought-out and coveted East Coast drink, The Crush, is now available in a ready-to-drink canned cocktail. It's available in three thirst-quenching flavors, the original orange, the refreshing grapefruit, and an iconic watermelon. Dewey Crush contains smooth premium vodka, sweet citrus triple sec, fresh fruit juice, and a splash of lemon-lime soda, making it the perfect partner to any summer event. So whether you're going to a barbecue, headed to the beach, or just hanging with friends, crush it with the new Dewey Crush. Now available in Dewey Beach and all over Delaware. For more information, visit DeweyCrush.com. We here at the Getting to Know You Pod need your help. Our sound and editing equipment is in need of dire, dire, desperate upgrading. Because we never had any. Support the pod by going to our Patreon and subscribing for as little as $2 a month. Your monetary support to better the quality of this podcast is very much appreciated and needed. Two bucks, a little too much? Well, here are three three ways to help. You can push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. You can friend and follow the pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can go to Apple to write a review. Those are going to cost nothing but your time and are going to be greatly appreciated by me. Finally, we are looking for sponsors and advertisers. You or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach? Consider partnering with us. We get to know people from all around the world. The Getting to Know You pods downloaded coast to coast across America and in countries like Canada, the UK, Australia, and building a following in France. Who the fuck knew? So if you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatever, just message us. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. 
on today's show, we are getting to know Trey. And Trey, from a little bit of Googling, um, I'll drop this on you. You are currently ranked the fourth most dangerous man in America. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We were talking about like, do you ever just like, like drop shit on people? I'm like, no, I got nothing set up. And I'm like, oh my god, you're the fourth most dangerous man. FBI's most wanted list. Oh, I knew it was gonna catch up with me. I knew it. I was. Man, it's um, this is such a random ass side note. I even forget who I was recording with and um, thought the idea of. But it was like, wouldn't it be awesome if I was an undercover investigative reporter? that pretended to randomly message people. And really I was like a sheriff's deputy. And then all of a sudden the doors get like kicked down and we find you cause you didn't pay bail or you had a warrant out on you or like you had some weird criminal past that we exposed. Bro, yeah. If the right people are listening right now, it sounds like you just gave up a script, you know, uh, for a new Netflix series. Dude, that'd be pretty good. That'd be pretty yeah. good. <laughs> all that to say, Trey, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting people get to know you, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. This is pretty cool. Yeah. Have you um, ever been on a podcast or anything like that? Uh, no, only um, what uh, it's like Instagram Live with oh, some okay. people in the uh, in like the military fanboy like field, but not uh, not a real podcast. We've always talked about doing one, but just haven't haven't got around to doing it yet. Got you. Yeah, Instagram Live and Twitch are where I stop. Like that's where the old man kicks in in me yeah. where I'm like, I can barely like fucking tag people and like get a story out with music and some sort of animation. Right. Yeah. Um, so what's the point of the Instagram live just to connect with people to shoot things up on call of duty type thing? Uh, yeah. So Instagram live, you just, uh, getting all your followers to, uh, log on and listen to you just ramble about whatever at the time. So like, and, uh, <laughs> my like military special operations niche corner of, uh, of, uh, the app of Instagram, you know, you've, uh, you've got all these like airsoft kids who just want to know about the gear, you know, like what they're wearing, the type of rifles you've had, um, other people who want to join, you know, and they want tips on how to get through selection or, you know, what service to, what service to join. And then, People just like it, man. There's just a lot, a lot of people out there who like that's their hobby is learning about these soldiers and um, military history, all the conflicts. It's uh, it's pretty cool, actually. It, I didn't I didn't know it existed, you know, until uh, until social media, until Instagram showed up. It's it's amazing to me, and it makes complete sense. My, my mind goes two ways when you bring that up. One is like. I feel like that's every gun rights activist's greatest fear is like their kids are learning about weapons and how to get armor. And my mind immediately goes to how awesome is it that our country is now educating earlier, really some kick-ass people in case shit goes down where <laughs> it's like, wow, maybe we're a couple of years ahead of the curve as far as when they come into some sort of training. Yeah. But, big time. But two, man, um, I'm a middle school reading specialist and the go-to is World War II. If you want to hook a boy on books like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, if you get a good World War II book with some Nazis getting killed and Germans fleeing and it, the, the drama and the war, they're automatically in. So I couldn't imagine if I'd had Instagram live and been able to find people like you, it, um, yeah. I'd be on that shit. <laughs> that's funny you say that I, I was just thinking about uh today um how big world war ii still is uh like uh, 
obviously we just had the, uh, the anniversary of, uh, D-Day. Um, so it's kind of fresh on everybody's mind, but, um, that conflict still defines like, you know, the, the military industrial complex, the way the government runs that, that era was so significant that, uh, like our entertainment is still based on it. Like, uh, my roommate was just watching that show on Amazon. Um, I think it's called hunters, something like that. It's about, uh, like oh, the Jews that are still hunting down Nazis. Al Pacino. Like, I didn't watch yeah, it. Yeah, Al Pacino. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, that's so, a good point. Because that's what, 70, most 70 years later, we're in 2020. Yeah. Over, yeah, yeah. just about 70 And it's years. still huge. So I, it's, it's kind of, it kind of makes sense that, you know, if you want to get kids interested in it, that's your go-to. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it sucks that it happened to be romanticized, but at the same yeah. time, it's one of those inspiring, I actually had a dude, um, Ravi, Ravi, I met on Twitter, who's like, he wants to work for Elon Musk and he wants to find out like carbon capture on Elon Musk's $100 million project X competition. Uh Have you heard about this? Uh Uh-uh. Yeah, this is why like he's fucking next level. Goes to Northwestern, you know, he's into biochemistry. Elon Musk was like, hey, if you can make a vacuum that you put in the air and it sucks carbon out of the atmosphere, I'll give you $100 million. Go go start a business. So he's into that. But even a dude like that, and he is admittedly, he's like, oh, I'm not tough. I don't do sports. I don't, I'm not like a typical agro macho man or whatever. He uh, listens to Winston, Winston Churchill and he's like, I gained so much <laughs> inspiration from World War II. And honestly, yeah, I would give my plans up and give up the hundred million if it made the world better because World War II inspired that within him. And he's right. 23 and you're like, it, you don't even have to be like the military dude to be inspired by it. Yeah. And like, you don't even have to have, uh, like direct, uh, lineage to it, like family members and stuff. I actually do. I have, uh, I have a, uh, grand uncle, my, um, maternal grandmother's, uh, or my, uh, maternal grandfather's brother who, uh, worked directly for General Patton in, uh, yeah. And the push through, um, Man, I, I want to say through the Battle of the Bulge, but I can't remember exactly now. I kind of, kind of feel bad about not remembering that. I'll have to go back and, and look it up. But um, even like barring that, like I think World War II is actually probably what joined the military the most. I have I come from a military family, so <clears throat> it kind of was like an almost felt like an inevitability, but it wasn't pushed upon me. So like my father my mother, like they didn't say, Hey, you're going into the military, you know, but I knew enough about it that I always knew that it was an option, I think. Right. And, uh, and I don't know that I ever wanted to make a career out of it. But, um, when I was in high school, that show came out, the band of brothers on HBO. Okay. One that, um, Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks made. Right. And, uh, I think that was it. I think that like sealed it, you know, like I was like, Ever, ever since that show, like when I joined the military, I was like, we were like, we didn't have a conflict at the time. We had uh, Afghanistan and then Iraq. But even from like all the stories and the media from that, it, it was like the combat was pretty few and far between compared to World War II. So it doesn't really make sense. But like my military service, I always compared myself to like Band of Brothers, like the stuff they did. So I never felt like I could do enough. You know what I mean? Like, and because that's obviously dramatized, although right. the battles were way more intense, right? 
So that's yeah. that's interesting to me because I don't know. It's like almost like being the boyfriend that lives up to whoever Ryan, whatever rom com guy you want to throw in there, and being like uh, that romantic and that understanding. Like it's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting that you being a young dude still connected to World War II and like felt the like an emptiness where you were like, I can always do more. They did yeah. this. I can always do more. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird how how it uh, inspires you, you know. I mean, it's obviously good storytelling and everything else, but there's some truth to you know the stuff that those people actually did. You know, the, they answered a, a very big and significant significant call, and uh, it seems like they knew what they were getting into too. Like they're like, if we don't do this, you know, the world is going to be overthrown by the Axis yeah. and by like a great evil, basically. Yeah, that's that's something that's so hard for me to have empathy towards because nowadays I feel like it would be, people would be like, man, it's an overreaction. It'll be fine. Right. (laughs) Cause everything's so serious now, right? Like there's breaking CNN, breaking news. Every, it leads every hour and it's like, what, it's a Senator who's having a speech that's breaking news urgent at the moment. But like the world. Yeah. Yeah. But back then, like the, the newspaper headline mattered. Right. And, but, I can't connect to it. I can't connect to the sense of urgency. At the same time, I've heard stories about like, we have active shooter drills in schools where kids get in a corner and they kind of yeah. giggle and they poke fun and the boys want to drop farts and, you know, cause it's all quiet. <laughs> yeah, right. But like these, like people were getting under their desks, scared, scared that a nuclear bomb was going to explode somewhere. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. yeah. Right. So Talk like, it's, told me about that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was 20 years after about, right. Yeah, we're yeah. talking uh, probably 70s. Okay, so even 30 it, it was really big. No yeah. doubt. So if even 30 years later, you still had that sense of fear with the Cold War. Imagine yeah. the parents at World War II with limited inform- – even more so limited information, limited connectivity. Yeah. I mean it, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around how serious it was for them. Yeah, it really is. Man. And um, at the time, I think that's when – you know, propaganda has always been around. Like since the dawn of history of people being able to communicate with each other. But I think uh, that's where we saw like modern day propaganda style like really come to fruition. That uh, It's funny that that one was discovered like decades later, but the Keep Calm and Carry On was actually uh, British World War II propaganda that okay. they found like locked in uh, the cellars um, that never got used. And it was actually supposed to be posted up if the Germans occupied England. And it was supposed to help motivate them to uh, basically survive and, and resist. Gotcha. So, yeah. yeah. It's, I think back to propaganda. Like they used to lead movies with the news to keep people updated. If the movies that I've watched are correct. That oh, that's right. The yeah, the newsreels. Yeah, yeah right? the newsreels at the beginning, yeah. Like, could you imagine if that was how you found out what was going on? You go to relax at whatever, Martin Scorsese <laughs> film, or going to see the Avengers, and now, yeah, Captain America talking about the Avengers, right? Like, that's, yeah. that's the reason we have him. Um, yeah. And, like, finding out that the war is either we're losing or we're winning. That would be crazy. Yeah. You know, what if it's bad news and then you, and then you're supposed to sit there and enjoy first you know, like an hour long comedy. No doubt. First <laughs> date. You're like, it's over. I'm not even getting to second base now. Like I'm it's going home, over. man. <laughs> Popcorn just flying everywhere. <laughs> that, can I actually, um, 
give me and give the listeners like a background of your military just to put it into some perspective from oh yeah that's people right most listening. people probably won't have any clue um i uh i joined the army in the early 2000s um as a uh special forces candidate for um it's uh it's a super um you know um boring name it's not like seal or ranger or you know something badass sounding but the u.s army special forces was our original special operations unit created in the 50s and um since my dad was in the army i wanted to kind of stick on the army path i looked at all the services before i before i joined i was like it definitely had to be special operations i didn't want to just do something normal i always felt like i had to do like a higher calling or something so uh I ended up reading this book by Tom Clancy called Special Forces. So I learned like everything about it before I went in. Kind of what these kids are doing with Instagram these days. Okay. Uh, as they're like learning about it ahead of time to see if, you know, it's something that they want to do, if it's even viable, if they can do it. And then um, now they can tell if they would even like the people that are in it, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, could you but, imagine uh, if you were able to know? who's going to be training you and what crazy yeah. shit they had in store for you. Like, yeah. Like your Instagram friends before, you know, you show up to uh, the Q course and then like, you know, your instructor, that'd be, that'd be pretty nuts. Um, so yeah, that was the early two thousands, uh, just after nine 11 and ju- actually just after the invasion of Iraq. I think Iraq had gone on for like a year and, um, I joined as a special group, which, uh, they had started up again in 2001. Normally, you have to be in for the service for a little while because normally SF guys, like who are nicknamed the Green Berets, I'm pretty sure everyone's heard of Green okay. Berets. Um, they uh, used to have to be in used to have to have time in service, like be either a sergeant, like an E4 promotable or an E5, or you had to be a captain uh, as an officer in order to even join it. So they tended to be older, late 20s, early 30s. Um, still focused on like physical fitness and, and being really tough, being able to carry like heavy weight for long periods of time. Cause you have to, you have to be comfortable behind enemy lines, but um, kind of focusing also equally, if not more on your intelligence and your problem solving skills, because the main job of um, the green berets is to link up with a gorilla uh, kind of like partisans during world war two, like guerrilla forces. Uh, behind enemy lines and then, you know, take down a, a government or something like that. So, so using like the allies within the people who are resisting and then trying absolutely. to empower them. Yeah. Just like it was modeled after the OSS in World War II who uh, jumped into France and then linked up with uh, the French uh, freedom fighters, the, the French par- partisan group there. That's, that's what it was based off of. Okay. And um, so the training is actually pretty long. And I ended up going through it for three years, including all of my regular military training. So I went through infantry school first, airborne school, then did like a preparation course, selection, got selected, um, and then went through the qualification course. So the selection only uh, is there to tell you if you if they feel like you could be a potential candidate for the course. So you get selected to go into this long the long course and. Uh, how at the end of that, oh, I'm sorry, man. And it, it always sucks with the Zoom uh, lag. Yeah. But I'm just curious how competitive, how many applicants, how many slots 
so the the old uh, the old song by Barry Sadler said like a hundred men will test today, but only three will win the Green Beret. Okay. But uh, that's not <laughs> that's not very <laughs> that's not very accurate. Like I would say, um, uh, I don't want to. I never worked out a selection. Uh, those guys would have a better gotcha. idea than me on the actual percent of guys who make it through. But I can speak for my class, and uh, I would say that like we started with like 300, 350 people, wow. and um, ended up with close to a hundred total, maybe even a hundred and twenty. So about a third. It, yeah, it's uh, obviously higher than a fifty percent, you know, attrition rate, and and then then that's just for selection. Then once you get into the that's qualification course, it's pretty long anywhere from a year and a half um, to two and a half years if you're a medic. And I, I ended up being a medic because our oh, no way. our um, our medic uh, program is a year long, whereas all the rest of the jobs that you can have as a Green Beret are usually about three months, three to four months, their training. So, so you wanted to do additional training because you were interested in medicine or because you just thought it'd be cool to be called, like, are you a doctor? Are you a field no, nurse? Like, what is that? I'm a doctor in a lot of uh, third world countries, <laughs> but because uh, <laughs> I got the band aids. Yeah, that's, that's right. Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> I know that uh, you know the that their um, remedies aren't their witch doctor remedies aren't going to work. I can actually bring in you know you real real treatments, no doubt. But um, Not that's a really good question. Uh, I actually. When I was in selection uh, and before I joined, I wanted to be a weapons guy, which is kind of looked at as like the knuckle dragger of the group, like kind of the dum dum. Uh, it's not it's not necessarily true, but you know stereotypes exist for a reason, and uh, that's the eighteen bravos. That's the the nomenclature. Um, and because I like guns, I, I shot competitively when I was in in high school um, and like middle school, and my dad was always into it. We did a little hunting. Um, so I wanted to do the cool job and be able to, you know, fire off, know all the weapons in and out and be able to like take apart and put back together and utilize foreign weapons as well as American weapons and all of that. But got to selection, they kind of gave us this, uh, who is speech, who is like what the army It's like their, it's like their own personal word for everything. Oh, like yeah, you right. can, you can use fuck for basically anything in the English is like the army's version of that and uh when you say who is speech you mean like a, a like a really motivating like kind of propaganda style speech but uh, right. guy, he, he basically did he did a course on uh, the vietnam vet um sf guys and uh so similar we were talking about world war ii and how they kind of influenced me to join the uh vietnam vet guys kind of like they did some pretty crazy stuff that's a conflict that um I think should get like a little bit more attention, you know, it, like what they did. Dude, I, I watched, um, I can't remember what the documentary, it might've been on, it, it had to be on Netflix, but, and I'm no way an expert and I don't, I get hesitant to even speak on it because it means so much to so many and I don't want right. to be disrespectful by just being ignorant as hell. But yeah. it, the, the ignorance of the government as to what was going on with like even just the Vietnam people and understanding kind of what they wanted and how, how much they were at each other's throats and then almost like picking the wrong side, if I'm kind of remembering that. And then the strategies 
just didn't yeah. seem to make sense for how they were trying to fight in the strengths of the Vietnamese. Like everything yeah. we did just seemed to bind the Vietnamese and give them resolve more so than like get them buy into what we thought they wanted. Yeah, basically is uh, our uh, our our strategy seemed to be like we I think we were our own worst enemies over there, and then the 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 body uh, count the citizens thing. back home they didn't want us fighting, you know, so. Yeah, that was the the point of the documentary that I took away was like there was a decision to start posting. They didn't like the perception that we were losing, so they decided to start posting like body counts. Yeah, and once once like that's the metric. How are you yeah. ever going to gain trust with people if your number one goal is to send a number of dead bodies to be publicized? Because that's how you're winning. Yeah, like, if you, I mean, if you if you kill everybody, I mean, there's no one left, you know, except for people who hate you. Yeah, so, they, yeah, they're yeah. they're angry. So I guess that's why, because it it really sucks for those who went through it, because it's as traumatic, it's as sacrificial, right? Like yeah. it's it's their lives, it's everything. But because the United States didn't have the success that they did in World War Two, they they don't. It it's more like Vietnam is the movie for like P PTSD. Yeah, like that's, that's what you point. take away from it. You know, you yeah, you go to war, man. You come back and you're fucked up. Where yeah. World War Two, you come back and you're a hero. You get a home. You get you get to have a family. And yeah. and it, it's it's interesting. If I wish I actually knew more to like kind of understand why the dynamics as to why it's not why you could not romanticize that. So that's yeah, true. I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but it's interesting they use that as a hua speech to get you on to become a medic. Yeah, that's a good point. So. Basically, what you're saying is true, but uh, obviously within the conflict, you had these individual operations and stuff where um, these guys just did absolutely incredible things that, um, you know, they went above and beyond, especially like uh, the Mac Vsaw guys, the guys who only got declassified at the end of, you know, at the end of the 90s, early 2000s. Um, that's how like secret their stuff was. And, you know, those are like triple volunteers for everything they did over there where in a war that we were forcing people you know to go over there and fight these guys like went above and beyond and uh there's some of them like uh like some green berets like roy benavidez who got the medal of honor like his story is absolutely incredible um and i don't know if it was his particular story that he told us about it um but it might have been and uh when i heard that story and i heard him like telling us like hey you guys came here to like be the best. So when you're like picking your job, cause they actually let you put in a wish list of which job you want, which job you would want. And when I heard that story and that, that speech, um, I was like, well, I'm going to pick the hardest job there is. Cause I actually am pretty smart. Like I tested pretty high on the pre-military <laughs> stuff. Why do you say actually? <laughs> <laughs> because if you know the rest of my story, I sound like a complete numbskull. Gotcha. 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 So I used to, I used to think I was smart or I used to be smart, <laughs> gotcha. but, um, yeah. So I, uh, I signed up to be the medic and, uh, and then I got it because, um, they are always having problems keeping medics because it's one of the harder fields to get into a higher failure rate. And it just takes longer to do. Uh, they're always having problems keeping medics on a team. They're either too smart to stay in the army and they get out and they go work in medicine or, um, or any number of things actually. Yeah. 
So, so um, does it, 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 would it be the equivalent to like a licensed practical nurse or registered nurse, or would it be like a, a mid, I guess I'm trying to think of like the medical hierarchy from nursing yeah. assistant all the way to like surgeon. Where, so I would, um, there'll probably be, there'll probably be some people who hate me for saying this, but I would put them on par with, uh, like a PA, like a physician's assistant. Okay. Um, but more specializing, not Honestly, they're not. We're, we wouldn't be like right up there with a PA. Um, in order to qualify for it, we still have to do like the two years of school to even do it. But there's actually reciprocity. Like when I got out of the military, um, I just applied to be a paramedic in uh, Georgia. I think it was because they just offer a reciprocity. That's um, pretty low beyond what what we did. Like a paramedic, like we qualified. I think we got our paramedics license like three or four months into the year long course. Gotcha. So it, it wasn't really, that's not really our, you know, civilian, um, start like our civilian reciprocity. It's not our, what, like the comparable. Actually, yeah, it's not comparable really. Um, but I think States like California now offer, if you take the MCAT, if you like, you take their actual nursing test, like you don't have to do any of the school. They'll okay. give you their nursing license. They, so I would put it somewhere between like a, a nurse and a, um, and a PA somewhere gotcha. in between there. Okay. Um, but the thing is like, we, we'd specialize in so many folk, like with a high focus on trauma, like battlefield trauma, <clears throat> like obviously because we're, you know, working directly on, in a war zone on the, on the front lines. And, uh, so like the, actually, yeah, that's a good, that's a good, um, thing to bring up is the first of the medic course, uh, is all the special operations medics together. So you've got the Navy SEAL medics, the uh, Ranger medics, the um, Marine recon medics, uh, who are actually Navy, but um, all the special operation medics together go to that first six month course. And then the last six month of it is just the Green Berets course. I can... And a few, a few SEALs who want to do the long course as well. I can't imagine all the shit that gets talked if you're bringing all the branches together at the beginning yeah. of that, especially cause y'all are like fit and feeling yourselves. I'm sure. Yeah. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stereotypes that come out to be true. Like while you're there, like, so if, uh, cause we still had to show up and do like the military thing in the morning. So uh, a day starts at like six o'clock in the morning or something like that. That's 0600 and, by the way. Yeah. In case. <laughs> yeah. 0600. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you have to do, uh, physical exercise together and uh you can tell who the seals are because the the liquor will be just like wafting from the front of the formation onto you from before they didn't even go to bed you know they just got got back from the club god god love them dude that's that's pretty amazing that six months all the branches come together and train and then um the focus on i i guess my mind just it hurts me because my mind goes in 30 different directions and I try to get focused. I'm curious about your reaction to being trained to deal with trauma. To me, I feel like I would be paralyzed. Like if I came up on a, I've come up on one car accident in my life um, and I'm CPR certified. I coach basketball. I have yeah. such a fucking fear. I'm going to be alone at practice with 18 kids. Some kid's going to jump up, get undercut and his head's going to split open. We had, <laughs> yeah. we had one girl whose kneecap popped out of place oh, I've seen that. Yeah. there was like six adults there and 
like only one person could function to get on the cell phone. Like we were just yeah. so like not used to it. So I'm curious what your initial trauma reaction was like. And that's a good question too. I, um, I don't remember. Um, so it was nothing. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, I think we got thrown right into it. So the first, the first month was just, uh, the boring stuff, you know, like anatomy and physiology, um, some, some medicine, pharma, you know, farm calc. Oh, they did. Okay. So they, I think this is what started it. They, uh, that first month they started us in the cadaver lab. So we started off seeing dead bodies right away. And I think that helped. Yeah. And was that the first time you'd been around dead body? Yeah. Other than like maybe a family or something like that, but that was definitely a hundred percent of the first time, you know, I'd spent that much time around it and, and we got pretty comfortable spending you know at least three days a week in there with them uh a couple hours at a time that's so yeah it, it's amazing uh, that you can just like almost say that in casual conversation like yeah we were just around the cadavers like that yeah how yeah it your mentality around them are you like a note taker are you just thinking of like dumbass comments the whole time okay so here's one thing that sticks out to me still is i remember the the muscle tissue the meat of the, like, especially in the legs, like the hamstrings and the quad group and everything looked like, um, after Thanksgiving, when you have all that leftover Turkey, the dark and white meat. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of. Obviously it wasn't like perfect representation because it had been pumped. So there's no blood left in it or any fluids. Like it'd been pumped so full of preservatives. Okay. Everything had like a very high, um, stinky smell from like the formaldehyde. But, uh, I just always thought, I was like, man, this looks just like refrigerated, like leftover turkey after Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I'd always make jokes like, hey, man, like, I'll give you like 20 bucks if you taste that. <laughs> tell, me what, tell me what it tastes like. <laughs> Doubling down, he's like, nah, man, I'll give you 40. <laughs> yeah. Like, All right. That's, that's interesting that they throw you, right? Because that's got to be the biggest fear is you get put in a situation and you freeze. Right. The worst yeah. action is no action kind of a thing I would imagine. Absolutely. And it, yeah. it's interesting that, that that's part of their curriculum and strategy to like desensitize you to it and just learn yeah, how think, to deal with it. I think they do it kind of right away. And then, um, right after that, we began doing, um, trauma, uh, assessments and treatments on ourselves. So every, <clears throat> not every treatment that we learned, but like IV sticks, like where, where you're learning to put, you know, the, the needle and cannula in each other's IV and each other's veins and palm. Um, we would stick each other. Like there were no mannequins. Maybe we, we had like a mannequin or like a, a prosthetic device to do it one time, maybe. But, um, after that we always stuck each other. So everyone just became a pincushion. I remember, um, while I was in the medic course with one of my friends, I went to his, The wedding he got married and um i was uh one of the groomsmen and this is while we were obviously not in training we had a break like a like a week or something or a long weekend probably a four-day weekend and uh we looked like heroin addicts because our arms like had track marks all up and down our, our ankles uh maybe even our necks because we actually did you know jugular sticks too no, but um jugular stick dude that sounds so fucking scary like yeah. you're, you're <laughs> learning how to put in an iv and into the neck yeah, yeah. What would be the point of that? Do you remember? Yeah. So I've actually had it happen. Um, 
uh, had a guy who uh, didn't have any viable sights on his legs or arms because his legs were missing and his arms were like completely shattered. So the only viable sight was either, you know, do a jug stick uh, if you can get it or um, what, what uh, we basically went to right away after my first, actually while I was in Afghanistan on my first trip um, was a bone gun, call it a bone gun, but it's, it does the same thing that uh, an IV would do, intra, intravenous. Uh, it's IO, so it's intraosseous. So it just goes into a long bone. So the sites are either your deltoid, like the, the top of the humeral head up here on your deltoid. Uh, we have a device that'll go on your sternum and, uh, and also one that could go into the head of uh, like right below your kneecap, like right where that is. And it'll go, it just drills right into the bone. And then you can pump fluids and medication in it, and it works just as well or better than uh, IV would, would work. And uh, that way you don't have to sit there and fiddle around with, hey, I can't find a vein. Gosh. Um, I, actually, when I was going through the course, we had like this old school technique that they don't teach anymore called uh, a venous cut down. So if you knew the vein was, couldn't find it because there was too fluid depleted or blood loss or um, fat adipose tissue, whatever, uh, basically you would take a scalpel and you would cut a window. So you would cut through the skin and basically do a little surgical procedure. Makes then you sense. would find that vein and you would separate it so that you could get access to it by itself. And then you would cannulate it there with the, uh, with the IV, just like sticking it, you know? <laughs> yeah. See right there, I'm out. I'm like, I'll be a fucking knuckle dragger if you'll have me. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> there, uh, actually that, that's, that's funny that you bring that up because, um, I did initially wanted to be like a, a knuckle dragger, like gun guy. And, um, that first month, like really kicked my butt and I was about ready to drop out and try and go over there. But the same thing happened again. I basically got like a hula speech and it was like, you know, you need to do your best of this, whatever you have the capability. Um, was it the academics just studying and knowing terms or what was holding you back? No, it wasn't academics. It was, um, for me, uh, it was uh, personality conflicts with my class. So I actually got, I actually got recycled into another a million times better just because I had a better, you know, learning environment. I didn't have to deal with the same um, people that I was having a hard time with uh, was, in that class. Is the issue, so I, I run into this often, believe it or not. I'm just, I'm, I'm either people either really enjoy my dumbass smart ass takes or they fucking hate it and they're like, can we get serious? You're like, you're always oppositional. If I if you, tell me the flavor of ice cream, you might as well sit on it because you're such a smart ass. You're always talking like, and I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to kind of have fun. It's how I engage, it's how my mind works. Yeah. Um, so I guess, like, was it one of those things or were you the subject of extreme bullying and I should not be cracking jokes about this? No, no, I wasn't. I, I wasn't getting hazed or anything like that. But, uh, since I had just like, I've been in the military, like maybe a year at that point, I was a, like a lower enlisted. I think it was an E4, like a specialist. So I had no, and I had no prior service, no, no deployments, no units or anything like that. Uh, okay. So, um, I was basically just like uh, a nobody. So it didn't matter if, but I, I, I want, I, I'm kind of like you, like I would always, you know, like I didn't really care for like authority figures and I would grow my hair out even though, um, not supposed to, I think I even had it colored cause I'd gone to seer school. <laughs> I'd gone to our survival school right before the medic course. 
and I put sun in it, you know, that, that kind of blonding spray. Yeah. yeah. Lemon juice. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like peroxide and lime juice or something like yeah. that. And because I, uh, I did it before I went, but I guess, uh, it like slowly bled in or something. So I have a picture of me at that course and I look like a Dragon Ball Z character because my hair is all big, <laughs> but it's all orange. Like it's, it looks like a fire, like, like straight out of an anime. And, uh, and I didn't cut it off when I got back. I didn't try to like recolor it or anything. So I think that pissed off um, my class leader. And it kind of like had him, like, then he was like zeroed in on me. He's like, this guy doesn't want to have a haircut or he wants to have crazy hair. Like I'm going to watch him like a hawk, you know? And when you say class leader, is that the instructor? Or are we in some sort of like squad, platoon, hierarchy where y'all are like policing each other based on the ranks yeah, you, that you came in with? Yeah, you, you kind of police each other. So they'll have... Uh, uh, one, one student who run, who's like the leader of the entire class. Okay. So he polices, you, you know, you police yourself. And then within that, maybe like three or four other guys gotcha. who are like in charge of their little sub cells. And since it was mixed, it was like seals, rangers, all those guys. I think that's how they divided it up. Like he was the head Navy guy. He was the head army guy. He was the head okay. ranger dude. He was the head Marine or, or, um, Navy guy. So that's basically, I think how they did it. And that's how you, I'm not a hundred percent, but I think that, I think that's how it was. Yeah. I, I could see it. Cause it, it happened to me when I started teaching, you know, like just vets and I don't know if it's, um, I, I think it's comparable. I think in any system, when you walk in, whatever the dude, you're young, dumb, full of cum, right? And oh, yeah. you got yeah. all the ideas, you know, everything I'm changing the world, bulletproof, all that stuff. And yep. then it's a natural jealousy. And when you get older, you realize just how stupid, arrogant you were. Most people do. And they're like, you know, I probably should have cut my hair or, you know, I maybe should have tried to have a relationship instead of be oppositional and fight his anger with more like defiance. Cause it was pissing him off. I probably yeah. should have just like maybe had a talk with him, bought him a couple of beers, explain whatever, like, but you don't 100%. do that shit when you're young. It's a pissing contest and you're oh, like, fuck yeah. you. I'm a win. I took everything super personally, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's it's a it's a great trait to have in soldiers, you would think, because that's the resolve, right? That's the like yeah. not today. Yeah, but it's not it's yeah. not the best for interpersonal relationships. No, yeah. <laughs> and uh, what made it worse too is I had uh, I had just learned a bunch of resistance techniques because I'd been in a three week course before that, a survival, um, evasion, resistance, and escape course, oh. and. It, it kind of opened my eyes to learning to resist, you know, like authority figures, because we actually go to a camp like where you're a prisoner of war and you get beat up and interrogated and all of that. And um, the techniques that I learned there were stuff I didn't know before. They were like, hey, you don't have to listen to these people above you. You just act like you do and then do what do whatever you want anyways. And for some reason, that's like switched something in my brain. And then from then on. Like I was even worse about authority figures than I was before, unfortunately. Dude, <laughs> it took me a little while to like kind of reel that back in. You know what I mean? Like I had overshot my, um, I'd gone from being like super, not submissive, but, um, Falling just in. listen, just, just listen to what everybody said, always taking orders and everything to go in the complete opposite direction, being like, a complete hard head, not listening to anybody, and then just had to bracket it in over time, you know? See, that's the shit, the, the resistant training, that's the shit that would get me. I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I got enough in me to be that dude to go through whatever to get to that. 
yeah. but that kind of three week thing, the psychological information, and then just knowing you could do it because of the situations, it's so it, it, that that's so appealing to me. Yeah, it, it was probably one of the greatest courses I've ever done in my life, and um, and a lot of people say that a lot a lot of people say that that's what you know Sear School was for them. And one of the interesting things is that everybody fails it. Like nobody, nobody passes. Like it's not a, it's not a pass fail course. Um, they want to see you use the techniques that you've given them. And you absolutely can, if you like are just a really big fuck up or you cheat or, you know, you, you do things that are just above and beyond. But <clears throat> for the most part, like it's just uh a course where you learn to fail and you fail so bad that you really learn your lesson. What's like you're like, failing? Oh, I get it. What's that? What do you fail at? Uh, I'm, I'm a knucklehead and, uh, I guess it like takes things like a couple times to get through my skull. <laughs> so, um, when I was in the camp, um, they, they do interrogations, like they interrogate you and, uh, you're supposed to use the resistance techniques that they taught you in the classes beforehand. Can I um, pause you just for a moment, like contextually? So when you say uh, the camp, my mind goes to like GI Jane and it's one yeah, of the sickest scenes like that. GI Jane. So are you guys like on a mission and you have some sort of information and you can't tell them whatever the password or certain yeah. things. Okay. And yeah. then they're yeah. putting, they're using interrogative techniques is it, does it get physical like that? Cause again, I don't know oh, if yeah. that's the over yeah. really. Cause like she, yeah. like she lost some fucking teeth, man. <laughs> uh, so nobody lost any teeth, but, uh, there are definitely a lot of injuries. Yeah. <laughs> God. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just trying to like context. Cause it's hard if you've not been through it, all you can really compare. It yeah. To you is, wouldn't, you wouldn't know what I meant by camp. Yeah. yeah like would, basically, a, you know, prisoner of war camp modeled after like, uh, like a Soviet Russia type of thing. Okay. Know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, they can absolutely lay hands on you. And, uh, the one thing that they didn't do was keep us from drinking water. We had, we had plenty of water. Okay. So that was good. Not a lot, of, not really any, a lot of food or anything. Not, um, you know, but, um, I'm just so curious. Like, what was it like to be broken? <laughs> uh, yeah, that, I think that was the biggest thing is, uh, you know, um, I had this, you know, picture of myself and like, what capable and everything. And they absolutely like pushed those limits. Um, and I figured I'd be able to handle anything. And what I realized is like, I kind of like locked up during these interrogations and I, and most people had like one or two interrogations max. I think I had like three or four because they wanted to see me like, get it, you know, like, Hey, you need to, you need to, to use these techniques that we, you know, taught you to do. Um, when you, and, when you say lock up, you would just get silent and like, yeah, I would get so anxious that I just couldn't think like my brain just felt like it, it shut off. It was really weird. And I, it, it was something that I wasn't really used to. Like I had a lot of anxiety when I was a kid, but this was just like anxiety overload. I bet. Yeah. yeah. Dude, um, that's gotta be so hard for the instructors. Cause if you're, trying to create a scene, you want it, you would almost have to be like detached. So is it the person interrogating you then trying to coach you to be like, Trey, this is where you want to use. It kind of, I don't even know so the technique to throw in there. They won't break. They, they refuse to break character. Okay. Um, 
unless it's like absolutely messed almost like life or death like these are about to revolt and try and overthrow the camp type of deal so they do it pretty cool it's, it's pretty ingenious they'll actually start throwing out clues there but still in character so they'll still be in character and be like wouldn't you rather do this you know um and their little <laughs> accents or whatever and then worst case um scenario from what i heard this didn't happen to me but um they'll like take you out of the game basically take you into a back room and be like hey listen up man this is just a game like this is just training you're freaking out right now you need to like reel it back so they'll if it comes like worst case scenario no they they have a protocol for it it's probably mm-hmm. it's probably one of the most rehearsed like over planned courses out there i bet dude the fucking liability guess. alone in my mind yeah. like could you imagine if someone died getting trained yeah. for interrogation like that yeah exactly i'm not trying yeah. to have that headline I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious with the were you always able to remember that it was a training or did you get to the point where you kind of like you were so in the moment you forgot like wait I'm uh, we did we did as a group as an actual full course so there was probably i don't know how many of us but quite a few um you know dozens and uh they did something that just pissed everybody off. They were just riling us up, getting it, just pushing our like emotional boundaries. What was it? And, Do you uh, remember? I think it start. I think it was like a mock execution. Like they executed one of our guys, and um, they were like tearing up the flag or something, dropping it on the ground, making us burn it. Um, just really degrading like everyone all together at once, and just um, yeah, just basically pushing everyone and uh then then like something snapped and a, a few people you know started like yelling and basically firing everybody up and it just swept over whenever like a like an energy you know and basically we were about to overthrow the camp from within <laughs> and uh get us all killed you know if it was real life they would just sit there and blast everybody right you know? And that was one of the rare times that they actually kind of broke character, and they're like, "Hey, you guys need to calm the fuck down." <laughs> yeah, gotcha. yeah, because and and I, you said it right there. Like, it might feel good in the moment in a training to fight, but yeah, I guess if you were actually in that situation, you're, you're killing yourself by doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like that, that, that would be the end for a lot of people, unfortunately. What's another? I'm super curious. Aside from the act like you're listening and then just go about your business, is there another kind of simple resistant technique that's kind of neat that sticks with you i'm asking for all the people who just want to piss their bosses off yeah it's uh (laughs) you start uh you start playing on um on uh their perception of you basically so you can make yourself seem dumber than you know like oh i don't understand what you're saying or I'm really too hungry and thirsty right now to understand like what's going on. If you could just give me some food or let me go to sleep for a little while, I can, I'll be able to answer your questions or something like that. Basically, like you, you basically learn to be kind of an actor. So you get rid of your ego, you know, cause like in the movies, they, uh, they're always like, this is my social security number, my rank and that, and I'm not telling you anything. And then they'll sit there and, you know, beat the dude to death. Cause he's yeah. just actively resisting. But if you, um, use a little ingenuity, kind of become like an actor and, and use some of the resistance techniques they teach you, then, you know, you can basically, uh, 
change their perception of you and make you what you want to do is kind of seem not worthless because then you know then you're expendable right. but um basically uh make that make them perceive you as less than what they thought you were okay. like i'm not a special operations guy like i'm like a cook you know or something like that no doubt yeah. And is the ultimate goal just to get through the, the minute, hour, day, because you're hoping to be liberated, to be found, to be rescued? Or is like the ultimate goal to like get together so that you can have some escape plan? Or is it always like sit fast, don't escape? Or there are some like SOPs that go along with okay. that? You're not actually allowed to escape. But I think that um, from what I remember, they want you to see you actively planning the escape. Okay. They want to see you guys getting get getting get together and like put, putting an actual plan, like in getting the at least planning process done. And um, but in your mind, in your mind, like you're so hungry and tired and and anxious ridden and everything else. Like just like you said before, you just want it to be over. So you're just trying to make it through the minutes. But um, yeah, they want to see you perform. You know, even when you're when when you have all those negative you know, effects happening. And, um, the coolest part by far is the end when you actually do get liberated, you don't know when it's going to happen. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not like, like, it's not like, Hey man, I'm gonna drop you off on Friday. See you in three weeks. Yeah. And then you're just like yeah. counting. It's, yeah. it's just sprung on you, huh? So they spring it on you and they're good about it too. They basically awesome. pull like a magic trick, like look over here and then you turn around and it's like, surprise, you're liberated. <laughs> and they'll raise the flag and they'll have like green berets out there, like holding the flag up and people saluting and um, start, they start playing like the anthem and uh, everyone cries. Like everyone in the entire class just breaks down crying. I you know what I mean? And um it's so like um, psychologically scarring that you actually get a protocol. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's basically like a sheet of paper from a psychologist that says you can't do any PT or oh, any shit. type of work for like the next couple of days or yeah. weeks or something. It's like a doctor's note for a sprained ankle. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. And um, dude, I bet like I couldn't fucking imagine like next day having to handle so like, hey, go disarm this bomb now. <laughs> yeah, Could that's you not imagine? happening. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> And you, you still do things like that you would have done in the camp, like that you like you start crouching around people, you know, an authority figure and stuff. And like you try to like you, you see it like you're still doing the things. That, and it was, it was a short time, you know, like we're probably in prison for three or four days or something like that. Yeah. But it's just so significant that it kind of stays with you for a long time. Did it, Even to this day, like I remember a lot of it. It's crazy. I it, it would have to be so vivid, man. Like it would. Yeah. Did it feel this is probably a stupid question, but like time wise, it couldn't have felt like three or four days. Like my work days go by like crazy quick, <laughs> right? Like a fucking weekend yeah. is over in a blink of an eye for me. So yeah. I wonder like contextually, what did it actually feel like for you? I would say at least a week because we didn't sleep. There was no sleeping. So it definitely felt like at least a week. The only time I got this, I got put into a box, like a, a <clears throat> it was when I first got in and I was starting to like hyperventilate and feel like a little claustrophobic because it was pretty small, like the little cell. Um, like definitely not like standing or crouched in a ball. Crouched. You have to be kind of crouched in a, either you could stand or even get on your knees. Um, oh, but what I found is I could do is I could crawl into a ball and, uh, they left you alone for like a couple hours at least. So then that's where you get sleep. And I, I probably got like two or three hours of sleep maybe. Um, and 
always wanted to get put back in that little box, <laughs> but they never came back. They never let me do it again. So. <laughs> Dude, that's, I mean, imagine, imagine if your goal for three, four days is just to be having to crawl up, curled up in a ball in a box just so that you yeah. can get some sleep. Yeah, that'd be, Dude, that's, fucking, <laughs> that'd be nuts. That's, that's insane. But at the same time, it, that's a super interesting technique because you got to get it when you can get it to try to yep. refresh yourself, man. Right. Like you gotta, it, the human body's designed to like reset and cognitively, yep. I couldn't imagine trying to fucking have an escape plan, be an actor, remember my training and yeah. I haven't slept for fucking 60, 70 hours. Like exactly. Trying to perform under those conditions is like almost non-existent. Um, and, uh, that's actually one of the techniques, you know, we had to learn was, uh, figure out ways to do those things. So is there a way to steal food? Is there a way to, we didn't have to worry about water, but is there a way to get sleep? And, uh, like what we found is, well, you know, the more you kind of got back into the, I'm not just trying to survive. Like I'm trying to actively resist, um, is, uh, you start to work on those things. And there was a, there was a, we did create opportunities for people to sleep back in like a certain area of the camp or whatever, while we post a guard and, and you could tell like, <clears throat> that they were basically creating those opportunities. They didn't make it super apparent. Yeah. But if you were paying attention, you could be like, okay, all right, they obviously want us to do something here. Yeah, right. You know, we, all of a sudden, we, we don't see a guard for like an hour every yeah. whatever. Every night when the sun goes down, they no longer yeah. patrol for an hour and a half. Yeah, you got point. it. Yeah. So that oh, kind of stuff. True. Yeah. Yeah, that's some next level planning for them. God, that's. That's pretty. So here's where my mind goes with that. If you're going for a medic, but the medic training happens after that training, uh-huh. I would be so worried that I'm wasting my time on this medic training. And when shit goes down, it's uh-huh. almost like a pitcher who no longer learns how to hit. Like if you're if you're a really good pitcher in high school, you're also batting like third or fourth in the lineup because you're a right. stud athlete. And then these dudes yeah, get it. to the major league and they hit fucking like 185. And yeah. you're like, where did you learn, lose your athleticism? I would feel like the medic part would make me lose out on the military training part. Yeah. Is that stupid to think or did you know that that's really good insight, man? Cause that does happen. That was another one of the, you know, I don't, people don't do things for just one reason, you know, or like one or two reasons they do it for multiple. And that initial first month that I was sitting there, you know, behind a desk in a class, just learning anatomy and physiology and all this this medical stuff that I didn't know before. Um, it's like, there's no, um, and I'd heard all these stories that the seals, you know, the seals had done all their training already. They, they were already seals. Like they had, they'd gone through their entire course. Now they're doing their, their job training. And, uh, I, I like, I haven't, I'm just a E4, like a nobody. And I haven't even made it through the entire course. Um, so I haven't really done anything yet. So I think that was one of the, one of the reasons that I kind of wanted to get out of there and go be a weapons guy instead and, you know, needed that kind of kick in the butt to, to stick with it. Like, you know, um, and yeah, there's a, there's a, just like there's a stigma for the weapons guys to be knuckle draggers. Right. There's a stigma for the, the medics to be, um, fat, lazy, hiding out in the, the med shed, you know, <laughs> eating all the chow and stuff. Taking inventory, making yeah, sure I got enough penicillin. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow missing all the narcotics, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good so. point. <laughs> I like that stereotype. 
Man, it's fun. That that's something that seems camaraderie wise. That's really cool. How like y'all just can give shit to each other out of love. Like it's it, oh, absolutely. It, you yeah. laugh. You laugh about being fucked with, man. You know, yeah. it's it. it it's a, you have to, man. It's like a rite of passage, you know, right. especially with the guys who've got a lot of time, um, who've been there for a while. Like they're going to test you when you show up to your team, you know, you're going to get shit nonstop. I think I had like 20 nicknames when I made it to my team on my first trip to Afghanistan, like everything I fucked up, like, and I fucked up a lot of stuff when I got there. Cause I was learning. Um, I had a nickname for it. So it changed <laughs> It changes like every two or three weeks. <laughs> what were what were some of the nicknames? How stupid were uh, they? One, some of them were stupid. Like uh, <laughs> I was uh, I was on the back of a truck during a mission, and uh, I drank all my water, and I saw a uh, Gatorade bottle that I thought was full of iced tea. Oh shit! And I opened it up, took a sip, and it was full of gun oil. <laughs> so then I I became STP after that. <laughs> Or Formula One, <laughs> yeah, just dumb shit like that. Or um, man, what else? I got really big because uh, when you're in Afghanistan and you live on this fire base out in the middle of nowhere, sometimes like the only thing to do is just lift weights. Uh, so uh, me and one of my buddies became Hans and Franz. <laughs> yeah, <'cause laughs> they just crack jokes all the time like that. But in the mission brief, they'd be like, "Okay." Uh, so Hans and Franz, you guys are going to be on this truck. If you guys can both fit in it together. <laughs> what else? Man, I'm sure they'll come to me. Like, as I'm... Dude, that's, it's, it's funny, right? Because you think of like mission and again, it's always like it just the perception. It's so serious. But then you can also forget that these are some people that have been fucking basically bored out of their mind. It's yeah. in the wilderness and like you're looking for shit just to kind of break oh, yeah. the mundane day up. Yeah. Yeah. Just giving each other shit and cracking as many jokes about everything as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, so you brought up the, the first deployment. I'm curious about how you're feeling when you're like leaving training, gearing up to be deployed. Yeah, that was, that was big for me. <clears throat> um, because when I, uh, when I graduated, from the special forces qualification course and I got my green beret and my little special forces tab on my shoulder. And I thought it was a badass. and I became a, a sergeant, like an E five. Um, I got to my group and, uh, I showed up and they're like, Hey, you're going over to, to this battalion. And, um, they're in Afghanistan already. So you're going to have to go help them pack up and go meet them over there. And they had left like a week or two weeks before me. And so uh, that was kind of like a kick in the nuts because I thought I was going to have time. I thought I was going to go to my unit, maybe go to a, like a couple extra schools, um, you know, meet my team, train with them. Then before we go to war, you know, do like a pre-mission train up for a month. But instead, you know, I showed up and they already need extra bodies. And they're like, hey, you know, you're headed right. You're headed over there right now. So get your affairs in order and everything else. <laughs> Dude, that's something I didn't even fucking think about. Um, special forces, like y'all are actually like a squad squad. So you like, it, it's, it's not like you just get dropped off with two, three dudes, two, three dudes, like mercenary style. Like y'all are a, a group that just stays together, huh? 
Uh, so we have a team. So the smallest element of um, of uh, special forces is a is a an ODA. You, have you uh, you know that '70s show, the the A Team with yeah. uh, Mr. Okay. T? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all them. That's what that's supposed to be. Is it's supposed to be like half of an A Team? So mm-hmm. the, I think it's like six guys is a half. Okay. Of uh, I think that's what they were like six dudes, but um. Yeah, it's basically what we were as a 12-man team. You operate in 12-man teams, and that's it. That's like your biggest element. And there are specific roles. Like they've got a demo guy. Like Mr. T was yep. the driver dude. They had the chopper guy. They had the yeah, yeah. smart guy. <laughs> and then I don't know what the pretty boy did, the face dude. I don't know what yeah, it was I can't like. remember either. Huh. What did he do? Special. Um, yeah, so I think there was four, four, unless there were a couple like guest appearances. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. T was the driver. The other guy was like the crazy – and I'm thinking of the movie – the other guy, like Bradley Cooper, was the pretty boy. With oh, that. that's right. Yeah, the movie. I yeah. actually like that movie. That was pretty good. Dude, Liam Nielsen um, crushed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, I don't know. But, okay. So, every, what are the typical roles on a team? Obviously, a medic. I can, I can break it down for you. It's pretty kind of boring, but you've got the 12-man <laughs> team, and it's standard across the board. Like, this is the basic structure. Um, obviously, the first two guys are going to be your um, officers. So, you got the captain, who's, like, the team leader. And then you have his assistant team leader, who's a warrant officer. And uh, Dwight if they have one of those, you'll probably never see him because he's he's been in the army for so long. He knows how to disappear uh, <laughs> and do his own thing. <laughs> and then you've got the senior enlisted dude called the team sergeant. So he's the uh, the highest ranking of the enlisted guys, and he's basically the real leader of the team. He's the one who's been there the longest. Okay. Um, and then you have an intelligence guy, so a dude who specializes just in and stuff. So that's the, that the four basic leadership positions on the team. I think the and intelligence then, guy was the pretty boy, now that you say yeah. that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Because they called him Face, be. and he was always finding yeah. out information. That's right, yeah. Hey. Uh, and then uh, the rest of them are all repeated twice. So you have a senior and a junior weapons guy. You have a, a senior and a junior... Um, engineer slash demo guy so they know how to build stuff and then blow it up and then you've got um the medics and you have uh the communications guys and um that's the main job and then everybody else has all all kinds of like sub skills you know you have a guy who went to like a um an urban combat course like he specializes in being able to like kick down doors and do like delta force like seal team six type stuff Okay. We have uh, guys who specialize in that, guys who are snipers, guys who um, are basically CIA agents, like operatives. Um, they go to a, a course that's on par with that, with being an, in, an intel guy like that. Um, and now we got dog handlers, guys who, who run, you know, fighting and bomb dogs. So. And those are additional people or those are just trainings for the team people? It's, it's still the same people, but they, that's the additional training that gotcha. they've gotten. It's a another asset that you can bring, you know, to the table. Dude, yeah. And then, um, and then on top of that, each team has kind of an infill, like an infiltration specialty. Uh, so they either are just a basic what we call a ruck team, because everywhere we go, we always have giant rucksacks on our backs. We have to carry everything we have. Um, or you have a uh, a scuba team, like guys who specialize in underwater, you know, oh, infiltration. Um, guys who are halo qualified, so they jump, you know, they do the high altitude, low opening parachute infiltration, uh, 
because like contrary to popular belief not everybody is halo qualified so not everybody does free fall where they jump from really high altitudes and do the low opening um everyone's airborne qualified so everyone can jump out of an airplane static line but not everyone is free fall qualified they tried to do it a couple years back they tried to make it to where everyone was free fall qualified to compete with all the other special operations out there okay. but um it just turned out to be too daunting there was just way too much way too much logistics that needed to happen way too much money being spent and not everyone could get it so they kind of scrubbed that idea but um and there is specific teams that do that you know as their specialty and then so you brought it up contrary to belief so is that like a like a again a pissing contest thing within the branches where yeah uh, yeah because okay. like like we have this capability so use us or we have this capability you know so you want to use us over there um like uh one thing that the green berets do that everyone else doesn't do is we all of us are language qualified in like a foreign language so we go and learn oh, a language right after because we have to go into the to the behind enemy lines, you know, meet up with the gorilla and be able to speak their language or at least be able to know some of it and, um, and use an interpreter and, and basically be able to vet the interpreter and see if what he's saying, you know, is actually what you're saying type of stuff. Yeah. I couldn't um, imagine like that. To me, that's a fucking step, dude. If you're, yeah. if you're out there and you're trusting this guy to accurately relay the information back and forth between both parties and yeah. you got no fucking clue. Yeah. That's... Interpreters are, uh, that, that became, um, something I learned about when I was over there, it became a big lesson, you know, about being able to interpreters and how to vet them and, and what to tell them and when to tell them. Um, and, uh, also learning their personalities and realizing that the shit that they that you're telling him to tell, like it was big in my clinic. And when I was, cause I'd run a clinic, six days a week where I would treat Afghan civilians from around the local area, kind of build up rapport, you know, and help out the local area. And, uh, they really liked us for that, you know, getting free medical care was, was a big deal for them because they lived out in the middle of nowhere and they didn't really see that kind of stuff to, to them. I was a doctor. Right. I was doing surgery, all kinds of medicine, fixing broken bones, all types of soft tissue infections. Just, uh, I learned so much that trip. In, in medicine, it was unbelievable. Um, but uh, uh, where was I going with that? Interpreter, personality. Oh yeah, so the interpreters that were in my clinic, I would notice sometimes that like, I'm trying to bring across a strong point, but the guy's not really picking up what I'm saying. And it turned out that the interpreter wouldn't say the exact words that I'm saying. He would always like sugarcoat it or, or die down. He's like, I can't say that to them. So then we fired him, you know, and got someone who would say uh, what, you know, okay. we wanted to tell him. So it was his personality or did he just think that the strong tone wouldn't resonate with the person he was translating to? I think it, I think he was more scared of being confrontational. So he wouldn't, you know, he had anxiety or maybe it was religious. They're, they're, they're pretty strong in Afghanistan, the Middle East and Central Asia like that. They're, they tend to be incredibly religious and, um, you know, they won't, they won't curse or, or, you know, they, they'll really try hard not to, um, insult each other because an insult is a, is a big thing. Okay. So, and you were uh, just insulting everybody when they came to you, you were like, quit uh, being a so, dumbass. So I had, a, yeah, <laughs> I had a mentor, I had a senior medic on my team who, uh, was, um, 
he was an interesting dude to say the least. And uh, I think he'd, I think he'd been to Afghanistan a few too many times <laughs> and oh. he was just sick of everybody. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he basically cursed at everyone <laughs> came through his door. God. He's like, Oh, you got a fucking headache. He's like, it's cause you're drinking goddamn t- tea all day. You don't even drink water. He's like kidneys. How do you know your kidneys hurt? <laughs> Who says their kidneys hurt? <laughs> and then the translator is just like, he says you have an upset stomach because yeah. you need to drink He's like, more water. He says, okay, I will help you, you yeah. know, or something. <laughs> Even worse. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, I'm curious about the vetting and the building relationships with the translators because I would assume like there'd be a feeling of my life is, could be on the line at any point. Like it's almost like being liberated. I would think where you're almost always have to assume shit could go down at any moment. Or am I wrong about that? I guess starting at that point, am I wrong about that mentality? No. So um, what have uh, specific interpreters for for different um, situations? Like I would have a a certain interpreter in the, in the med shed with me, you know, who basically I wouldn't get priority on my interpreter. I would get somebody who, you know, could speak the language, but wasn't necessarily, you know, the best one out there because they would need that guy to go and gather need a dude who would um, work with the intelligence guy to gain intelligence from people. So he would have the best interpreter because he could really trust that guy. Okay. But what, what we started to realize over time in Afghanistan was we started to build up um, pretty strong bonds and friendship with us who truly wanted to liberate Afghanistan from the Taliban and from an insurgency themselves. And they would actually fight alongside us. And, Technically, they weren't supposed to. Technically, they weren't supposed to be able to have weapons and stuff in case potentially they turned on us or whatever. But these guys have been fighting the war longer than any of us. And it, it was their homeland. And they were there was quite a few of them who were good behind a gun and good in a gunfight. And we really enjoyed having them you know, with us on missions. And they would fight alongside us. They wouldn't just sit there and, and interpret. You know, They would be actual combatants. So that was pretty key. I mean, like, it, if shit's going down and the interpreter doesn't have a weapon, it, is the enemy, the, the Taliban, are they, like, taking, wouldn't, they, wouldn't oh, the yes. interpreters be seen as traitors and they would Absolutely. be gunning for them anyway, right? So, like, yeah. not having them, I understand the aspect of, wow, maybe they're a double agent or something, right, and they're going to actually yeah. turn on us. But I would think to become an interpreter, like, my first prerequisite would be, like, I need like 12 weapons. I need <laughs> knives, <laughs> right? Like I, I want the big thing that goes on my shoulder that yeah, I can like, shit. I can get the ass on the line. Yeah, yeah. Right. No doubt. I'm taking out a tank. Like show me yeah. how to do that. I, I, that's interesting. I had no idea that they weren't allowed to, or they weren't supposed to um, yeah. have weapons. So, um, yeah, it, it came down to personality too. Some people just weren't fighters. They didn't, they didn't want to fight. Cause um, if you're a ling- linguistical guy, you're whatever yeah. a college kid or something yeah, like that. That makes and sense. there were some pretty strict, um, even in special operations, there were some pretty strict commanders and stuff who wouldn't allow him to. They would follow the rules, you know. Mm-hmm. Even if the guy was a fighter, he, he'd be like, "No, that's not like you're not carrying a weapon. That's against our mission, you know, from higher and everything. That's like we we don't do that." Um, and yeah, like there's also a difference between um, local national interpreters like guys we picked up over there and we actually had interpreters who were u.s citizens as well and worked for our government like who were actual 
contractors or even within the military, we had military interpreters too. Okay. So that that's a different, you know, that's a whole bit different ball game there too. So yeah, because if you're like if you go with the medical example, you probably I guess you wouldn't need to be someone who understands so much. Well, I guess no. Would you have to like actually? like be relatable as far as I look like you. So you will trust this medical advice. Could you just be a gringo and Hey it's man, helpful. I'm just really good. Yeah. It's helpful. But like, if you look at the priorities um, and like who, who gets who, you know, if it came down to, you know, this guy needs to go on a mission. So you get the person like the, the clinic wasn't the highest priority. Yeah. So I would get, you know, whoever could do it. But interestingly, we got a, um, an American citizen who was originally Afghani her and her whole family. I think she was from like Los Angeles or something. And, um, she might've even had like a higher security clearance than I did. I think <laughs> I'm almost positive. Like she did. You would, you would never assume it. She was like the nicest, the nicest lady. I think she had like, she was a mom had like a couple kids. Um, and she, when she ended up working in the clinic with us, uh, that was a, that was a big change. She was really good. Like, uh, you could tell, like she wasn't scared to say what we actually wanted to tell him. Um, but she was also really relatable to him too, even though she was American. Yeah. Like I, they trust, they trusted her. So. Relatable. And she, she could talk to the women. Yeah. That was big is, uh, you know, the women were actually scared to talk to the males over there. They had to be completely covered, you know, with the burqa. Um, and there were a lot of rules in, um, in Islam about, you know, can women talk to men? Can they be in the same room with them? Can they even get examined by them? Oh, so, shit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't, I, that, that's so true, right? Like, so how much like cultural sensitivity training or education? Is that like a crash course, watch this video? Or is that like, hey, every 30 minutes a day, we're just trying almost like commercials where we just want to remind you, hey, don't blank. I think, um, is actually we learned in our language course like i went through arab so i learned uh, modern standard arabic <clears throat> so i learned a lot about um the culture through that but then uh specifically for afghanistan because they don't speak arabic and in, in afghanistan they speak dari and pashto and some other central asian languages um we learned it in our pre-mission train-up they started to incorporate that into the train-up before you go to war so you do like a month-long training so that cultural sensitivity stuff will be incorporated into your pre-mission training. And then while you're there, you're feeling everything out and you're, you know, relaying to the rest of the team, Hey, you know, this is how we need to go about this. Um, <laughs> some of the, some of the funnier things that, that happened right away was, um, uh, in Afghanistan, um, they're not gay, but the men like, um, get with each other. They have like relations with each other on a specific night of the week is like their religious holiday is when Allah averts his eyes. So Thursday stop, night dude. is when stop. they become stop. There's no yeah. stop. You're fucking with me, man. <laughs> you were fucking with me. Yeah. So that's like, that's when, uh, that's when, uh, they become super friendly with each other. And then you learn as a team, like if hey, they're acting like, extra friendly trying to hold your hand on Thursdays because they're trying to get you to come hang out with them that night. In the bathhouse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Did, and uh, Did you say so once when, a week? 
Yeah, once a week, every every Thursday, yeah, every Thursday night. That's when the the weekend kicks off for them. <laughs> How have I never heard about this? Uh, it's uh, I don't know, I think it's their dirty secret like to keep, but I mean it's not it's not gay over that's just that's just how it is you know um and uh <laughs> <laughs> my mind's fucking racing they, man they have a saying they have a saying that um women are for making babies and men are for pleasure i think that's how it goes so it's pretty it's pretty like widespread and it's not it's not looked upon negatively or anything like that it's just basically you know how their how their culture is can, can i get a person i'm such a metrics guy can i get a percent are we talking like 50 percent of the dudes or just i wouldn't say 50 i'd say a good 20 that's yeah, way higher than i pretty significant thought. like one out of five i would say it had it had to be something like that so when we first got there you know we were doing our whole it was a, for a lot of guys on the team it was our first trip there this was a learning experience for us, like right off the bat. And um, in special forces, we use our own security guards instead of like taxing out regular military or having our own people go up and have to guard the entire base that we live on. We would train and hire personally, like personally vet and um, hire Afghan security guards to do that for us so that we could other work. So we didn't, you know, take half the team just to secure where we lived. And, um, when we initially got there, we did the handoff to the, with the team that was there before us. And they're like, Hey, these are all your security guys. So, uh, we bring the team together and sit down and have like a, a little campfire meeting with them. We actually had a wrestling match. They do this type of wrestling where they, um, like you stand up against each other and then like you grab each other's belts from behind and then just try and wrestle each other to the ground. We know why. What's that? <laughs> we know why. Yeah, now it now it makes sense. Now. You were like, "Fuck it, this was Wednesday." They were this trying is practice. To, they were making sure. Practice getting ready for Thursday. They're trying to spot who the who the weakest guy is so they can Shit. take advantage. Like, why did they call me out eight times in a row? <laughs> they must notice all those squats I'm doing. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> oh yeah, they'll notice too. They'll notice you do squats. <laughs> Dude, you blew, uh, you've blown my fucking mind with that. Uh, That's. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like that, like it's. <laughs> to, what does that say about us? It, are we just stupid adolescent American, like Western bastards or something, where it's just giggly to us? Where, it's like, hard to say. <laughs> you know, like we're the wrestling, or for them. Like that's where my mind goes. My mind's like, all right, well, if you're not gay, like, but then you're wrestling with this dude. How do you not immediately just start thinking about the pleasure? Not not having babies, but like the pleasure this man can bring when I grab his belt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you just, I've never fucking looked at it that way, man. I've never even seen that like in the military movies over there. Like that's never been a thing yeah. that's even almost hinted at, at least in the ones that I've seen. Yeah, it doesn't get publicized, but it's like widespread. It's just their culture, you know? So, <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off with your story, dude, about the wrestling for the... Um... Oh, yeah. So after the wrestling, you know, we sat down and had like our little sure, our little meeting. We sat in a circle, breaking bread, eating food together. And um, one of our knuckle draggers, one of our weapons guys, the 18 Bravo, he, uh, he was sitting right next to the commander. And he's just full blown into the, you know, the training thing, like how you learned how to build rapport with the gorilla and... and um, and be his friend and everything. So he's talking to him 
uh, through the interpreter. He's just like, yeah, we're here to help you out. You know, we're here to be like best friends with you guys. You know, um, thing you need like this and that, just like talking them up. Like we're in training, basically the whole script from, from when we were in training and just not, he's not really picking up on the, the, the visual and the cues, like the social, he doesn't have like the social awareness that everyone else is watching from outside. He might've been nervous or something like that, but the, Hey man. Am I back? Yeah, dude, I think, and it's funny, man. I forget sometimes cause I get into talking with people. I think what happens is my computer's like trying to go to sleep. If I don't touch the mouse, like if I don't oh, really? move the, yeah. Cause it was, I mean, it's fucking hour 19 when you froze up. So I just wonder if like that is what happened. Um, I'm it sorry. May have been, but my, it said my uh, internet connection was uh, spotty. So I, I would, I would assume it'd be on my side. Oh, no, it know. was, it was definitely on your side. I'm just, I'm just trying to be a gracious host. I don't appreciate you <laughs> fucking up the show. <laughs> yeah. It was like, you fucked up. I was just trying to be cool. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, dude. So the last thing that, uh, and I can like, I'll try to like, I'll clip out the dead time and shit like that. Um, <laughs> Last thing was there was we're post wrestling and now we're speaking and we're applying some techniques, but um, social cues aren't getting picked up on. Yeah, so we we got the the knuckle dragger on the team, like the the lead weapons guy, and uh, he's trying to spit out like the script from the course on like how to build rapport and basically become friends um, while we're all sitting around the food eating and watching. <clears throat> and most people are like picking up on it, you know, right away. They're just like laughing to themselves because you can see the, um, from the the security guard, the Afghan security guard commander. He's like he's like listening to what he's saying. Like he's giving him like kind of like a weird little look, you know. He's like smirking to himself, and then he starts to reach out and put his hand on his leg while he's talking, you know. And he's like, oh. So you want to help me? You'd like to do anything you can to be friends with me? He's like, I like this. This is good, <laughs> and it's just not—it's not getting through to him, you know. <laughs> are are y'all realizing this, or do we just realize this Friday morning after there's some late night tent knocks? Yeah, I think everyone. I, I'm pretty confident that everyone was like picking up on it. You know, they're like, okay, bro. <laughs> you think you're getting this guy a little worked up, man? <laughs> Yeah, chill, you know, dude, reel it back in. <laughs> dude, but that's that man. That's it, it, whatever. It doesn't have to be a, a story unless you want to talk on it. But like, it, it's almost like imagine if a female, because typically dudes, it, I, I don't know if it's gender biased to say dudes tend to be way hornier than females, right? Oh yeah, and, and a I female. That's pretty well known, right? Yeah. And, and a female. In any sort of, again, going like with the movie reference, females, it's so easy to seduce someone, right? But if you're trying to build a relationship and the way to build that relationship, like if your commander were this female and he was this misogynistic dude trying to be like, oh, baby, right? You yeah. could see that. Yeah. But like, what do you do when you actually need someone to protect you, someone to watch the perimeter, someone to like get you some intelligence? And that guy's like, I got it all for yeah. you. I just We're drawing straws. It's your turn in the barrel tonight. <laughs> drawing straws. Holy shit. Dude, y'all can draw all the slaw all the straws you want to. I'm not slurping. I'm not I'm not sucking. I'm, I'm not drinking the milkshake with it. I'm yeah, take sorry. one for the team. <laughs> Swallow gravy. <laughs> Cradle the ball.
<laughs> my my I cannot believe I've never heard of this before. Yeah, I cannot man. believe. Uh, and it's fucking weekly. That's amazing it, to me. Yeah, it um, you know, technically like it didn't it didn't really cause any problems, but the dude um we ended up arresting that guy, the commander of the Afghan security guard. He had been he'd been doing it for a long time and uh we we started starting to figure out um a few months into it that he was kind of corrupt. Doing like he had been take he would take money from um not just us but the bad guys too. We found out he was taking money from the bad guys, probably reporting on us and then um working with them in, in some conjunction and um some of his little side activities were like he was a pretty pretty horny, dirty old man and um when they would get new guys as security guards, when we'd get new guys onto their, onto their detail, uh, these young Afghan dudes, he would always pick out the youngest, like to him, the cutest boys to be his little side pieces. You know, that, that's who he would basically pimp out to himself for, you know, the, the time until he got someone new to come in. And, you know, that was kind of a warning sign at the beginning. We saw that and we're like, this isn't technically not right. But we don't know where like culture ends and like, you know, something worse begins. But then later on, when we found out that he was basically double dipping, like he was taking money from us and from the bad guys and then reporting on, you know, our action stuff, then, you know, we stepped in and got rid of him. Double, double dipping with a stick in. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> But that's like, that's actually something like, it, it's almost like the token, oh, I know black people, I have a black friend, right? Yeah. So like, how do you know Afghan culture? Like, oh, well, I got my Afghan friend. You're like, well, is that the dude that's telling me about the culture? And if you're new, it, it you got to tread yeah. lightly, right? Like, how do you actually understand their culture when you're oppositional, right? Like you're, you're an invasive army. Yeah, we're there. technically we're, we're occupying yeah, yeah. right so, so like how, how would you know like oh this is how they eat a family meal right, right. this is how they barbecue on sundays this is their yeah. like they're not gonna fucking act normal around you exactly and that's something that you figured out over time is they literally tell you to your face all of this stuff basically what you want to hear and then go and do exactly the opposite as soon as they leave your presence that resistance so pretty technique. much all the time that was like that was their sop so god yeah. dude that's did that um not not him um taking his uh, subordinates, but just the um fear of being played? Did that fuck with you psychologically? Like, if it's me, man, I'd have Absolutely, a very yeah. hard time going to sleep. My mind would just be rolling with how I got played, and I'm 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 fucked. I gave something up, or I don't yeah, know. that's a good point. Like <clears throat> thinking back on it, there was a time where early on before I knew, you know, how they acted like their nature and everything. Um, basically before I had the experience where it was like, you know, a lot of anxiety and, and, and not trust, like we didn't trust them, you know, at all at first. Uh, and then you, and, and then the longer, you know, time goes on, you learn like, how to deal with them. And, uh, and then um, are able to pick out the personalities too, because there are people there who are just 100%, you know, trustworthy and do what they say, um, at least to the, like the majority of the time. Um, but uh, yeah, at first, 
it was pretty tough. I mean, that guy had us fooled at first. He seemed like, you know, he was on it. He seemed like super disciplined, a little eccentric. He was pretty eccentric. Um, but three earrings. Yeah, <laughs> over time, <laughs> over time, like <laughs> belly button like, ring okay. and a tram stamp, and you're like, ah, but his shirt's always tucked in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's always, he always shows up to work on time, you know. But <laughs> oh man, he was I... a yeah. No, no, go ahead. I just remember this one, this one scene. It's like it burned into my brain. Like I can see it, like as a video. And uh, we got attacked, or yeah, we must have been attacked one morning. We used to get attacked a lot. They would shoot rockets and mortars into our base, and so we would go and man the walls and and fight and shoot back or do whatever. And I remember being on the wall that, that morning and just heard this machine gun fire open up. Like it was relatively calm at that point, but then I just hear this machine gun going, blah, 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 blah. And uh, it was close. So I knew it was outgoing, outgoing rounds. It wasn't like someone's shooting back at us. Um, and I'm looking up at the tower and I see him up there just, uh, hammering away with the M60. It was like the only M60 we had on base. It's like, uh, you know, that gun that Rambo shoots from his, uh, yeah. Hold it the hip and yeah, and it's got like the string of bullets, right? You shoot yeah. five thousand bullets. It's in a box. Yeah, so we, that's uh, we had one of those, and because uh, it's an old weapon, it's not something that you would normally carry around. Um, it's not a modern weapon, and uh, so we had one of those, and it was up on his tower where he liked to stand and do all his orders and everything with his guys. And we had one of our guys up there too, um, another medic who was on my team. And he was supposed to be controlling this dude. Like he was the one who, you know, was supposed to um, interface with him and be like, hey, this is what we need you guys to do. And I, this is the team giving him orders because he works for us. We pay him. He does the security for our base. But uh, I think I think that that medic on our team, he was kind of a pushover and he had a really hard time keeping this dude under control. And uh, so we're on the radio just talking to him like, hey, man. Like you need to get him to quit shooting. Like, what is he even shooting at? And he's like, I don't know. It looks like he's shooting at uh, this one dude, like out by the market. So there was a, there was a, the town was like right outside of our base, to the south of us. And there was a bazaar there. And every morning, all the Afghan males would leave their homes and come walk to the bazaar for the day, and run shop and just sit there and bullshit. Like it wasn't harvest season yet, so they didn't really have anything to do. And uh, <clears throat> I can't remember. I want to say I, I got some binos out. So I got the binoculars out and I'm looking at what he's shooting at. And there was this guy uh, and maybe, maybe I didn't see it personally. Maybe it was a story relayed to me from um, the medic who was up there with him. But he said there's this Afghan dude, he was walking into the market from the West, like on his normal path through the, um, there's not a lot of plants and trees and stuff that grow there, but when they do, they grow around the river. And he'd been coming from the river area and through the trees and who, and you could barely see this dude, even with binoculars. But for some reason, our, um, Afghan security guard commander just knew this was a bad guy. And he's like, I'm going to kill that dude. And it probably was someone he knew like lived over in that area and probably owed him money or something like that. He probably wasn't a bad guy at all, you know? And he's just sitting there just blasting him at him. And the funny thing is that, the guy walking across had no, like he just, every once in a while he would stop and he'd be like, what the heck was that? And he'd just like, keep on walking. And then, <laughs> walking along, walking along, like, huh, 
So it's a good thing is either the machine gun was just so old that it wasn't accurate anymore, or the, or that <laughs> or the guy was just a, a terrible shot. How <laughs> with that many rounds? Like, yeah. Um, I think he actually ran out of rounds. I don't think the <laughs> I don't think the our medic stopped him. I think he ran out of bullets. I think that's what happened because he was just going. On, he was on it for forever. Um, yeah, and it turns out he just he knew this guy was a bad guy and he was just shooting at him and. The funny thing is, in Afghanistan, everything, all of, like, when we get into a firefight, which is um, what we call combat over there, a firefight, uh, or a tick, a, a troops in contact, um, when we get into a tick up close, where we're, like, where you can see the guys fighting you, it was generally, like, when we were in, in a city or rolling through some buildings or a highly populated area, but outside of that, when we were out in more of the wilderness... I guess you could say, like in the mountains, everything is super far away. So sometimes the only reason you knew you were getting shot at because they were so far away, you could barely hear the gunfire report uh, was like this whistling sound of the bullet kind of passing you and almost like a feeling of pressure. It's just like an odd feeling of pressure that you can kind of feel in your ears. And then you kind of can hear it a little bit. And that was like my introduction to getting shot at. Like I didn't even hear the bullet being fired, but I could feel and hear it like passing over my head or, or nearby. And um, I think that's why the Afghan dude walking across didn't know that he was getting shot at was because it was just so far away. How are you so, is cavalier the wrong word? Like uh, how, how are these stories to you, man? And not more dramatic, the, the, <laughs> the combat shit. No, for like, I'm just, God, you, what I'm realizing is I am such a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know man i i, I it's the, the mentality i'm not saying it's wrong or anything but i'm like i'm i'm super surprised by it that you're like that's oh just that's like so it. matter of fact that's yeah like, that's how it, it happens, it's so. almost like the cadaver thing too right when you're like hey it looks like turkey and you just get used to it is it is it like yeah. a desensitizing because you're around it and you you're experiencing it that yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think absolutely. So there was, um, when I first got to Afghanistan, I didn't go straight to my team. I stayed with, uh, the, the, I didn't go straight to my A team. I went to the B team first because, um, I was actually kind of an extra person. And while I was there, um, they wanted to go on a big mission. They wanted to do like this three day mission and take all of this with them. So I went out with them on this three day mission. And it was my first time going outside of a base. I'd been there for maybe two weeks in Afghanistan, a week to two weeks. I'd just gotten there. And, um, you know, I'd been through the qualification course and everything. Um, I'd seen some stuff on TV, but I didn't do the pre-mission train-up. I actually didn't know what it was going to be like to actually go on this mission, um, other than just listening to the mission brief. I thought that as soon as we rolled out the gate, like it was on, you know, like there's going to be snipers everywhere. You always got to be on your lookout. You're on the front lines, you know, we're behind enemy and, and, um, you could potentially see combat at any time. So I was on the, the rear of, um, our Humvee, you know, our, our gun truck. And on the rear there, I had a machine gun. I had an M240 Bravo, which is like the modern day version of that M60 I was telling you about. Okay. Is that like, would you see that like strapped to the Hummer? And... Yeah, we had it. We had it mounted to it. Yeah. Okay. 
Gotcha. And um, so I was basically like a tail gunner. Like if you're like a tail gunner on a plane, it's the same thing. You're a tail gunner on the on the Humvee with the with the main gun up top on the turret. Okay. And um, I had my night my night vision because we left at night, so you want to leave at night so they're they're not watching you, you know. So like you can roll out and basically be sneaky, like oh they don't know if the Americans left the base or not um, because you know they were sleeping. But uh, so we left in the middle of the night, and I had my night vision goggles down, and I was looking left and right, you know, just the whole, all the way out of it, just like anxiety, you know, at 10, I had, you know, I thought, you know, we could get attacked at any time. Um, IEDs weren't really big back then that improvised explosive devices, the, the roadside bombs. Yeah. Like we knew about them a little bit, but they hadn't really been implemented on a large scale. So it wasn't really the, the biggest focus. We would actually hit them. We would start having those happen a couple months later into the trip, but initially it wasn't a, a big as a concern as it came up to be. Um, yeah, this was still kind of early in the two thousands. And, uh, so I'm, I'm back there on the gun, just like being a complete, uh, tweaker. Basically I was pounding these, these little energy drinks we called rippets. I don't know who makes them. I think they're only available in Afghanistan. <laughs> I don't know. They're just made for for military people in Afghanistan. <laughs> Dude, can, can I pause you for? So, do you watch The Office at all? Yeah, I love The Office. Yeah. So, do you remember when the warehouse crew wins the lottery and they make an energy drink for gay men? No, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> what? Are you serious? I thought I'd seen all of the office. No, it's when uh, Robert California comes in. So oh, it's after okay. Michael Scott. Dude, you're going to yeah. fucking crack the hell up. <laughs> so it's an Asian dude and a black dude. And they basically have these cases. And like Robert California, because he's so fucking sensual, just starts pounding these energy drinks. And he's like, tiger testicles. <laughs> and and Daryl's line is so y'all thought energy drinks for gay Asians would keep you in the money you invested all your lottery in it so, that's right I remember when they won the lottery that's yeah right. dude yeah so this was like they're looping back to that they come back like I don't know I forget whatever season a year later but okay, okay. When, when you're talking about those little drinks I'm wondering like <laughs> there has to be a connection the universe it, has to yeah. be a writer either served yeah. somewhere on that or knew They knew somewhere. about rippets. Yeah, yeah. Dude, exactly. <laughs> they had to. And yeah. the Afghan men are throwing it to the military being oh, like, absolutely. See, yeah. you. see you on Thursday. <laughs> you guys need to get on this rip and then make sure you make it to the party on Thursday. In fact, drink two of them Thursday rip night. It so. ride. Rip it and ride. <laughs> rip it and ride. Rip it and ride, Dude, I can't believe you'd see that. You're going to crack the fuck up when you see it, dude. That shit will make you hard. <laughs> All right. So you're ripping it up in the back, tweaking. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm fucking tweaking. I probably had like two or three of those those drinks. And um, and it took me a little while. But like I, I, I pay attention to like the people around me. And I realized you know, pretty early on in the mission, once the sun came up and you could see everybody, basically how relaxed most people were. And it was basically, we were just on a drive, you know, we were on a long drive down to wherever we were going. So it wasn't, it wasn't like this was enemy territory that we're trying to bust through to get to the, the front lines where the battle is. Um, even though that was the mission, like we were going down to this valley to clear it, to make sure it's clear 
for this other unit to come up and meet us. So we, so technically there could be combat, but it wasn't a guarantee. So the drive down there was pretty benign and it even got to the point where, um, I was taking naps, you know, like, Hey man, like I'm going to get a couple hours of sleep. Cause you know, we'd, we'd been up all night. It was well into the next day and, uh, we were just pulling security and maybe they had stopped to eat. I can't remember what was happening, but like while we were pulling security, I had the, the dude up in the turret, he was pulling security. I would take a nap and then maybe we'd switch, um, gotcha. in between it, it, it I don't, maybe I'm a fast learner or something, but like it kicked in pretty quick. Like, Hey, this isn't as like dire a situation as you think it is. But, um, that wasn't like in the briefing, like before they roll out, they're not telling you, Hey, young guy. Yeah. I think think they just kind of assume everyone already knows like what's up. These guys have been there, you know, years upon years. Cause our rotation was, we'd be there six months, come home for six months, go back over for six months uh come back for a year that was like your break because you'd be back for a year and then you'd get then you'd start the cycle again six months over six months back six months over um so these guys have been doing it for years and i think they'd probably even forgotten what it was like to and and the and year to year the work was kind of like dynamically changing too like so there'd be years where there was a lot of fighting and then there'd be years where it was or seasons actually it was actually a very seasonal conflict so like the winter time they wouldn't really want to fight and then summer would kick off and maybe something happened that that summer that made them uh extra violent but um for the most part you know it was it would come in waves i guess seasonal Uh, do you think is that like an equipment thing or is that like a lifestyle logistics yeah Yeah. big time so just snow and mountains you just can't fucking get around yeah, because we're talking about the Hindu Kush. You know, this is like the foothills to the Himalayas. This is where, you know, the Indian continent smashed into major Asia and pushed all these mountains up. Like, we're talking, um, I lived at 7,000 feet, I think. And we went up, we pretty often, like once every two or three weeks, we'd definitely be above 10 grand. Like, basically just sucking, you know, because there's no, no, no oxygen up there. <laughs> Dude, I went to Mexico city guadalajara all right yeah that's and, pretty high up there yeah i i think it's a little higher than denver i, want, I don't know if it's seven thousand. i think it's in the sixes um, it's above a above a mile though i'm pretty sure yeah right because denver's yeah. 5200 right five yeah five tomatoes five two eight oh um yeah. <laughs> i've never heard that <laughs> okay yeah that's the teacher in me like we just okay. think of stupid shit for kids to yeah. remember little things five mnemonics. five tomatoes five two eight oh yeah. um but anyway like i'm a i'm a I'm a runner. I jog. I got pretty good cardiovascular health. I walked up three flights of stairs with a fucking carry on and I was gassed, dude. Gassed. I was sweating. I'm like, what, what has happened to me? I'm I'm so curious, dude, that your acclimation to that. Cause that's something where like, I don't think if people have experienced it, you hear about it in like sports teams all the time. If um, you go play the Denver Broncos or you go play the Denver Nuggets, like, their whole goal is to push the pace, push the pace. Cause if you fly in, your body doesn't get acclimated. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm just curious, man, like dreams, do you have funky dreams? Or are you just like dog tired? What was it like? Yeah. Uh, the first time I had to climb above 10,000 feet, I was obliterated. Uh, we had, um, where, where we lived on that first trip uh, up in the mountains there, the, uh, the base I was describing to you earlier with the market, you know, south of it and everything, 
was on the side of uh, was on the side of a mountain, and just on the north side of that little mountain, we could actually drive up onto it, and we would pull security up there um, at night when we would get resupplied. So the only there was no way to there was no way to drive there. Like we had the B team drive there once, but they lost like three vehicles, got blown up, and uh, <laughs> and they got into quite a few ticks on the way up there. Then they. That was the B team that I had done that initial mission with too, that three day mission. Um, they just, uh, they called it a fighting B team. So it's supposed to be like a command team and like, you know, provide logistics and support to all the other A teams that are under its command. Um, but they're just like us, you know, they, they, they might've been older and more experienced and stuff, but they get bored too. And they want to get out there and get in the fight. So they decided that instead of, uh, instead of flying everything out to us that they're going to drive some shit up to us this, this one time. So, um, they drove up there and, uh, they lost like three of the semis. I think like one of them fell down a ridge because the road is so, it's like one of those death roads, like in Bolivia style. Oh, like, just no guardrail just, one way. Yeah. No guardrail yeah. anywhere. Everything was dirt. Um, and it was, you know, it ran along a mountain ridge. And then they actually got attacked like two or three times on the way there. So I think two of the trucks, either one broke down and one actually got destroyed from like gunfire RPG. Uh, and then another one definitely fell off the mountain. <laughs> and when you say fell, like drivers in it fell? And I, I don't, you know, that's a good question. I can't remember. I hope not. That'd right. be pretty terrible. But like it definitely, you know from what they told me like rolled down like it went off the end and and rolled off so and what's the the what are the ticks like like it's hard for me to understand like what taking fire would be is it just dudes perched in i picture it dudes perched with good cover in mountains shooting at vehicles that are coming by and then it's so hard for y'all to spot them to then return fire in order to escape more so than like seek and destroy yeah, you have uh, that's that's really good insight into it. You got a. You I got watch a, a lot good, of movies. Yeah, you got a pretty good <laughs> grasp on like on what it was like because like from what I was describing earlier, like when you're out in the the mountains and in, in the wilderness, um, you can't see them. Like they're usually pretty far away, and uh, the landscape. Like when you go to Colorado and you look at the mountains, uh, there's a tree line, and then when the tree line stops, then you have all rock and everything, and the rock is um, I wouldn't call it smooth but it's relatively like the landscape is barren. Like they might have some grass plains on the, on the top of mountains in Colorado and uh, maybe some boulders here and there. But in Afghanistan, like there are boulders everywhere. It's like you're on the moon and Mm. I'm talking like boulders, you know, like this size, like the size of two hands like this, like that's just a tiny one up to like the size of a house. And they're just scattered across the landscape everywhere. And it makes it really hard to, um, drive like if you're going to drive on the side of the mountain uh you have to maneuver between these boulders basically um there's of course there's mountains without them but in the area we were in it was pretty inundated you know with bull on the on most of the most of the mountaintops and uh there were some without them but most of them had them so it made a really good cover for these fighters to shoot at you and then jump back behind these boulders so not only are they super far away, but you can't even see like their muzzle flash. So you're not exactly sure where it's coming from. And then you can't really hear it either because it's really far away. Uh, and you kind of got to guess where the incoming fire is coming from by just knowing tactics. You're like, okay, that looks like where they would probably attack us from. 
Okay. Let's keep an eye on that area. Um, let's, you know, put some suppressive fire back. We'll, we'll get some people shooting at it and then, uh, we'll sit and wait and see if they fire back from the area. And then one of our biggest tactics was to call in air support, close air support or cast. And then, uh, we'd have some fast movers or helicopters. Usually a helicopter would be like an Apache gunship would come in and shoot rockets or, um, you know, use their, use their, uh, their chain, not chain gun, um, basically like a Gatling gun, you know, like okay. a mini gun. I think it fired a 20 millimeter round or something like that. That's one of the interesting things about being in special forces was, you know, like if you, if you went over to Afghanistan as an infantryman, basically your, your weapon is your rifle. And then maybe if you're lucky, you have a pistol on your side, or you might have a machine gunner in your squad or you're the machine gunner in your squad. And then, uh, and then maybe you have a, a, a vehicle that has a heavy weapon on, on top of it, like a 240 Bravo, like I was telling you about before, or a 50 cal, like a giant machine gun with a 50 caliber round or a Mark 19. But being in special operations, like you got to, you use a lot more tools than everybody else. So you specialize in just having a wide, like kind of a jack of all trades. You know how to do a little bit of everything and then just mastering the basics. And one thing that I uh, learned as soon as I got there, the B team had me out at the range and I was learning how to fire mortars. So like the tubes where you drop the, the big rounds in the tube. Oh, that's that. Fire. Like, yeah. You, yeah. And then all yeah. of a sudden you hear nothing and then there's just the fucking explosion. Yeah. The, the mortars were my favorite. Um, that was definitely one of my favorites to learn. And, and I got really good with them too. How many people, what's the percentage of people on earth that, can say that sentence mortars were my favorite <laughs> i don't know that's a good question <laughs> right like you're a fucking one percenter no doubt right like that that's part of it right it, it, yeah. what the fuck is wrong with us that that that's appealing <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question man. i love it though like mortars is definitely when we get into a firefight you know it, one of my favorite weapons to go to would be the mortars for sure easy to set up so like uh, Different. We had three different uh, sizes. So we had the mobile one that we would take with us, the 60 millimeter. And that one you could basically fire with one or two people. Uh, so pretty easy to set up. We could, like, we would, we would, if we got into a tick, we would, we would pull it out and use it. Yeah. Cause use I guess almost every time. I'm just wondering when you're the, the blast. So energy, right? The, to mm -hmm. shoot that much energy. How do you stabilize it? Is it just a tripod or do you actually have to like hammer or drill something in to stabilize it so it doesn't move? Because I would imagine if it moves, it's less accurate. Yeah. So it has a bipod on it, two legs that come off the front, and then the base plate actually buries itself into the ground with the first round. So the first round oh, sets it. Oh, so, so yeah. the first round's just shit. You're just firing off quick as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes to. you can be pretty lucky with it but yeah the first <laughs> round is usually setting it yeah okay that makes so yeah. much sense because i always wondered that like do you have some dude with a fucking drill in your pocket and you're just like <laughs> trying to get through yeah. rock or like figuring out whatever the terrain is yeah it drills itself in yeah <laughs> it's right <pretty> dope. <laughs> yeah and that's the that's the 60 and that one we'd take with us then we had the 81 which is a little bit bigger and we're talking millimeters so talking about the diameter of the uh the round itself and the 81 we took it with us on the three-day mission because we were going to cover like a support by fire position on the top of a ridge for a large area that we were looking to clear. So that's why we brought it with us. But you normally wouldn't – that normally wouldn't go on a mission. Normally that's for base defense. 
Just because um, it so, takes so long to set up, or because yeah, it's so fucking it takes a little bit longer to set up. Um, the it is pretty big, and then the rounds are huge. So you know, it takes up a lot of space, and gotcha. we had to take a trailer with us, an extra trailer, just to carry all of its stuff. Gotcha. So that's yeah, that's the reason you don't normally take that one on. Unless you're gonna go on on a long, you know, three day, week, month long mission or something like that. There would be no reason to have it. Okay. Um, and it keeps you from being as mobile too. It's more of a stationary thing. So that's the eighty-one, and then we had the one twenty, which is definitely just for base defense. And that one's fun. <laughs> that one shoots pretty damn far, and uh, the rounds are big. Um, you can shoot a loom, you know, uh, high energy rounds, uh, all kinds of stuff, man. And what do you uh, mean? So there's not just like one type of round that goes in it. Yeah, there's different rounds. Yeah, so you get kind of a selection of stuff. Um, you can set the, you can set the the charges <laughs> on it. Love it. Like, there's a selection of. It's like yeah. now, now I'm with John Wick in his yeah, basement. There's a plethora yeah. of, uh, <laughs> of ways to kill. <laughs> so. Yeah, right. Like I mean, it, it's again something where you, you I'm starting to get the fanboy in me to be like, yeah, holy man. shit, man. Like that's. I'm sorry again. Didn't mean to cut you off. I was just like. I just figured one thing go in, blow up like grenade almost, just like that yeah. basic. I can't believe I underestimated it that much. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah, it's it's got the grenade function to it, but then you know it has um, you can set the, you can set a timer on it and a proximity fuse, so it'll blow up before it hits the ground or it'll blow up after it hits the ground. Um, you can get white phosphorus that just burns at like something insane like 4,000 degrees or something like that so it just burns the fuck out of whatever it lands on, on impact uh, or in the air and then you're looking at like a spray radius of it coming I want to say both I want to say you can do both with it with the Willie Pete we call it Willie Pete um <laughs> and then uh and then you got a loom round so it especially at night you know we won't be able to see uh, what we're shooting at would shoot an illumination round too basically goes up and then when it's at its apex it pops out a parachute flare and then that flare stays up there for a considerable, like a pretty long amount of time. So you can, and it'll light up the sky too. So you can really see at night. It's one of the most eerie and like beautiful things at the same time. Pretty cool. Yeah, I, because light pollution out there is like non-existent, right? Yeah, that's that's one of the greatest things about being there. Is uh, sometimes I would kind of trip out and Do feel like, like I was that? like on the moon you know or like mars or something and uh you could see the entire milky way like the the whole thing like just all the way across the sky the only thing it's missing out there is like the northern lights or something like that you yeah, know right? it's just beautiful yeah i actually miss that because i live in a city down here in florida and like you can't you go out at night and you see like five stars maybe right. you know i can't remember the last time i saw what I saw in um, Afghanistan, so it'd be cool to uh, to see that that night night sky again. But uh, it wasn't always clear, though. You know, sometimes sometimes it'd be cloudy, and then like you, it could definitely be really dark. And if there was no moon, um, then it could be like pitch blackout. Like there was one night I was out trying to take a shit, and I basically was like a blind man stumbling away from from our little camp at night, and. Uh, Bit terrified a little bit you know because i'm gonna drop my pants and you know take a duke and be really 
vulnerable. Dude, if, if anyone's ever seen anything. a dog take a shit in a yard, it's their, like, dogs <laughs> look like they're fearful of a bear jumping out of them. Yeah, At exactly. any moment, man. Like <laughs> That's probably what I look like, too. <laughs> yeah, just eyes wide, like, open. <laughs> just a fucking right. pigeon just waiting to get pounced on. Yeah, exactly. Gun already drawn, you know. <laughs> No, no time to wipe. Just pull up your pants and run. <laughs> it's that, Jesus. That's another thing too. But fucking like just a midnight bathroom break. Yeah, is, is that fucking traumatic? That's it can be. Yeah, if you're on a mission. Yeah, yeah right. I'm sorry, man, I didn't mean sick. to cut you off. But like, I, I just like it. It's the the visual of going through and trying to take a shit <laughs> in the mountains and like being yeah. paranoid. Like that's something. Yeah. Again, what percent of people like experience that? It's got to be small now, man. Right? Like, it just, yeah, it's hard to relate with some people sometimes. You know? I bet. Just so I many bet. experiences uh, and stuff that I forget. I don't even think about this stuff on a daily basis anymore. So it's things I forget unless, you know, someone like you asked me questions about it. Right. Um, or cutting you off. I'm sorry. Keep telling you're taking a shit story. Cause I, no, no, you're, <laughs> you're good. <laughs> I don't mean to cut you off, but like, it's just one of those things where it's. It was just, it was so dark out, you know, and even with my night vision uh, goggles on, um, you know, it, they, they work off of uh, illumination, too. They, they work off ambient um, infrared, and it was just so dark that it's even hard to see through, you know, the night vision at night while I'm out there. But uh, so that's when that, like, illumination round really comes in handy. Is you can, it's like a second sun in the sky. Like, it, it really is bright. Wait, so, y'all are shooting off illumination rounds to go take shits in the middle of the no, night? No, no, no. That's just a, that's, I was just going back to the, <laughs> that'd be pretty funny though. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey Zulu, uh, this is uh, Delta 2. I, uh, I got to drop a fat one. Can you uh, send up, uh, can you send up some uh, alum? I'm going to need it at uh, zero degrees. <laughs> And then you're like, for whatever reason, a really interesting news article, right? Like, and then like the contrast would be the Atlantic just published something excellent about future of cryptocurrency, the future of cryptocurrency. And I just want to read it. <laughs> and you shoot this thing up so you can fucking. Look up a magazine out. No, no, exactly. Just flip through and you're like, yeah, you know, working on my portfolio research. Or, or we've been we've been eating uh, MREs like these these plastic meals, the meals ready to eat, Dude. and they they stop you up like I've... basically after a week, everyone's farts and shit smells exactly the same. Dude, I've heard they're the... so fucking dense, man. Because yeah. they're just pure calories, right? Yeah, yeah, just full. Of, I don't even know what they are. Just calorie dense meals, and uh, they I think they're all made out of like the same substance, and they just flavor it different flavors to make you think you're you've got variety, you know, in your options. But, um, so yeah, you could be out there taking a shit for like 30 minutes cause you're trying to get all that out. So, you know, you might have to call higher and be like, Hey, I need another roundup. You know, I'm not done yet. <laughs> have a third one ready to go. Cause it's going to be, a, it's going to be a long one. I brought the Atlantic with me. Got my magazine. It's so fun. I went with the Atlantic because that's the kind of soft bitch I am. I'm reading the Atlantic on the internet. <laughs> that's why I'm so scared of all this. I'm reading about how children are impacted with COVID and the additional homework. <laughs> and then you like put it into perspective and you're like, what a fucking first world problem, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. can we understand just how fortunate we are to worry about our basic psychological needs? Not like, yeah, like, like it, whatever. It's not that it's not important, but 
perspectives, priorities, just like an interpreter, right? Like some shit just matters more. And you think about positions you're going through versus what people on screens are used to. I I Google when I'm bored. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I forget about it too. Like I was telling you earlier, I don't think about it as often as I used to. And, um, I find myself just completely, you know, forgetting all these lessons I learned and being like, all I care about is just first world problems anymore, you know? And then every once in a while I'll get reminded and kind of put it back into perspective and uh, be like, Oh, this isn't that big a deal. You know, none of it is. And that's part of just teacher talk for me being so, I I feel like kids are kind of underestimated in the sense of they're resilient little fuckers and they can deal with things. They can, they can deal with some trauma and bounce back if they have support, if they feel protected, right? Like you can go through some shit and you can come back and you're going to be okay. And I feel like we've almost taken away the hurt to help kids get calluses. But for somebody, that's a shitty analogy because kids don't really get calluses. They kind of like grow from it. It almost makes them like denser in some way. But it's removed and they're just not as tough. Like you get teased on fucking Instagram or whatever, like on a Twitch, someone doesn't like something and it comes to school and it fucks your day up. And it's like, dude, you couldn't do your homework because some shit went down on social media. Unexcusable. Like that was was the job. And I I wish society could like almost reprioritize sometimes and be reminded of like uh, occupation. Like there yeah. are, there are societies that deal with that threat and tension on the daily. And maybe our kids need to be a little stressed. Maybe our right. kids need to fail a little bit. Maybe our kids need to go through some hard shit and learn how to show up the next day. That's a good, that's excellent point. Yeah. That's something that, um, man, I hear about it all the time, like safe spaces and everything else like that. It sounds like the kids these days are super fragile. Yeah. But it's it's encouraging to hear what like your perspective on it that they still are, you know, they can still be super tough and uh, malleable and, and adaptable. Yeah, and, that's, and I, you know, that's encouraging because I, I always hear about you know how soft they are these days, but there's potential you know for them to. It it's part of the brilliance. Stronger. So I coach basketball, and it's part of what I love about basketball. Win or lose, man, these kids, you you got to fucking make it. I don't yeah. care if you're getting your ass kicked by like 20 points or whatever, dude. Like, what are you right. going to quit? All right. Hey, who wants, who wants to not be a quitter? Let's get out there. Like, this is what you want them to think of you. Like you're worried about someone taking a picture cause you're going to try hard. You're worried about being called a try hard. You know what that is? That's called success. Yeah. How, how about you embrace success? Guess what? They're looking at you. Doesn't that make you feel special? Yeah, like, exactly. Let, let, let's go, bro. They're here to see you. Let's put yeah. on a show. And like, People are fearful of whatever you get cut on the basketball team. And I get so much shit when people get cut and I'm like, can't that feed your kid? If they want it, they're never going to get cut again. They're never going to want to experience that feeling again. And for parents, they don't want their kids to get that hurt where I've seen kids who get that hurt. And they're like, they show up for open gyms. They ask questions about improvement. They're doing drills on their own. And they're like, coach, can't wait for next year. Can't wait for next year. I got you next year. And you're like, that's it, dude. You just got better. Hell yeah. I'm glad to hear it, man. Yeah, dude. And it, 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 
I wish more, honestly, more parents, I don't think it's the kids. I think it's really the parents that are like stopping the kids from being as great as they can. Cause they're so 100%. fearful about like their Failure. emotional well being, And I'm like, yeah, I, I think your kid's going to be okay. Yeah. Sorry. That was a tangent. I didn't need to go on a tangent. I'm no, that's good, man. Don't yeah. Worry, I was I'm glad to hear that. That's uh, I mean, I think that's, I think that's on a lot of people's minds these days is we had that whole participation patient trophy, you know, phase and helicopter parent thing. And, uh, and I think a lot of people are just waiting for it to, to turn around because everything is you know, an ebb and flow. It's like, you know, it, we get soft and then we get hard again and soft and hard again. And yeah. hopefully, I mean, unfortunately it's probably going to happen. There's going to be some kind of conflict or something that, that toughens everybody up again, like makes us rally together. Um, I think nine eleven was that for for my generation, you know. Yeah, they only saw it for a few years afterwards, and kind of everyone went back to being divisive and everything else. But for a, for a few years there, we were kind of all together. Yeah, and there wasn't really like the victory parade, right? Yeah. Like there wasn't no. the return home we won. <clears throat> it, uh -uh. it was one of those like I guess it's better. But even when you were talking about the language, I, I would have said Arabic. I wouldn't right. have said, what did you say it was? Danny or? Dari. Yeah, Dari. Dari. Gosh, yeah. And then there's like, you know, you hear of Kurds and I'm trying to like think back to like, there's three or four different tribes and people are trying oh, to understand yeah. the hierarchies and you're like, it's too yep. fucking complicated. Did, did the bad, did the Nazis die? Yes. Right, we right. won. And Black like, and white. Who yeah. won? Yeah. And now are we come home. Now? And now we see the sailor kiss the girl in Times Square and yep. everything is fine with the world. We never got that after we got the initial Pearl Harbor style attack. We're like, you're not fucking with us that way. Yep. It's over. Right. Yeah. And that galvanized us, but we didn't get the parade at the end um, that I think would have maybe solidified the unity. Oh, I got you back. Yeah. It's definitely a you problem. Hey, it's okay. It's a you problem. <laughs> It happens to a lot of guys. Yeah. Can I? <laughs> I know one guy definitely doesn't happen to. <laughs> so just just to put a bow on it, it's funny, man. I um my whole thing, I I social media, I randomly message people hoping to meet just you're the first special special ops guy I've met. I've spoken to a couple different veterans, actually a combat um engineer who served in the Marines um Operation Iraqi freedom if i'm remembering okay. right yeah and, well, yeah and and taken like he took on fire and it, it was a big deal he actually hadn't spoken about it since he'd been back man and he went oh, through wow. some real shit about like having no purpose and i'm fucking waiting tables and you're bitching about splenda do you know what the fuck's going on right yeah i had and, that phase yeah oh did you really <laughs> yeah a little bit because i i went I, I basically um went back to school and uh i didn't get uh once I was done with school, I didn't get a, um, a job in the field I wanted right away. So I was working like in basically retail, like working at a motorcycle shop as a nobody, you know, where these people are coming in and like their entire day is ruined because they didn't get like the little part they wanted, you know, and they're just going to shit on whoever they want you know, at the time. And um, I'm thinking about my, you know, recent past history being overseas and everything. And you're just like, 
what the fuck? Like, I wanted to yell at a lot of people, and I'm, like, it's not not a good thing for retail. And um, <laughs> not not <laughs> not not with the internet and ratings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, kind of toughens you up in a different kind of way. It's interesting, but um, yeah, I didn't feel like I had a purpose at that. You know, that time it was only. I actually I did it for a while. I would say almost two years, like a year and a half at least. So. Um, and I I don't mean this in any bad way because i'm well aware people tell me all the time i have tone issues um when i like have to work with them but you sound <laughs> they're like you're so fucking blunt man and i guess i'm also like really good at being saying stupid sarcastic shit with like a great poker face that people are like i never fucking know like whatever i'll be like <laughs> pro trump shit and pro biden shit just to yeah. say the opposite of what you were saying exactly but yeah. make it like i know enough about the talking points to like egg you on just to fuck with you right yeah yep. so I don't mean this in any sort of way, but like you seem so well adjusted, man. And and that's why I was like surprised. And I, I do wonder, like, is that just like a family trait? Did you actually have to work on that? Or are you just one of those resilient motherfuckers that dealt with failure early on and learned how to like cope? Oh man, that's a good question. I think um I'm continuing to fail all the time. <laughs> so that's part of it. But uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think, I think a lot of it's family stuff, uh, genetics, um, things I noticed about being in, uh, in actual combat, like not just being over overseas and like on the basis of, but like literally being in a firefight was me, me and one of my good buddies, we, we had a conversation about this not too long ago, how, um, some people seem to get really amped up when they're getting shot at and they seem to like take it personally. They're like, this mother shooting at me yeah. oh, and they would get like angry and some ways it's a good thing you know you want to get anger so like anger is a good way to get over fear yeah suppress and fear to, makes you brave yeah and get, yeah get yourself in gear so like i could understand that but i don't know it, it's got to be genetic or something like that because i just didn't have like that fear switch like i got scared when um i felt like i was gonna get hit like we, we were getting pretty close to getting shot at but unless that was happening unless there were rounds like landing right next to me which happened on a couple occasions like where i was like full-blown like in panic mode and i was in that flight or flight flight or um fight response mm -hmm. i was like running around and then like i could finally think and i was like oh get behind cover and then use the machine gun to shoot back like some basic shit you know what i mean yeah <clears throat> unless that was happening like um i didn't really feel that like fear part and it almost became like a drug like kind of like an adrenaline thing so basically if i was going to go on a mission like i wanted to get into a fight and it was like the fun part about what i was doing over there and uh and i looked at it as a game like so when we get shot at you know some people would be like oh my god we're getting shot at. what are they doing and i was like yeah like this is what this is the game, you know, this is, they're trying to kill you. We're trying to kill them. Like it's, it's what you're supposed to do. Like it's, it's a weird feeling. And, um, so that was, uh, that was something that I never really had to, um, adjust to when I came back. It was more of the, uh, I think it was more egotistical and like personal relationship stuff that really bugged me. Like, uh, um, 
like being in Afghanistan all the time didn't give me time to really have like a personal life, have a lot of personal relationships. And I was a young guy and I wanted to pick up chicks. And like, I think back then I wanted a family. Like I wanted something to leave behind because I was almost certain that I was going to die. Like I was pretty certain. Like I was like, there's a really good chance that I'm going to die. So I need to have something to leave behind like a legacy or something like that. So I always wanted to get married, um, have a wife back home, you know, that would take care of everything and like have some kids. And then while I was over fighting, but the way that the operation tempo went and the school and everything, like I just didn't have time to, in fact, I, I was married for a number of years, but the only reason was, uh, I met an air force girl in Afghanistan. Like that's where I met her. So if that didn't happen, I would have never had that, had a relationship basically. Um, and, uh, I would say like stuff that you normally, I think that normally wouldn't cause like, uh, adjustment issues and stuff like that, that you would think like it wasn't combat related. It wasn't like, Oh, I almost got killed. So now, you know, I'm super upset about it. It was more along the lines of, uh, this guy said this shit and tried to like ruin my career or I got put on a shitty team and I didn't get to maximize my potential. Like I wanted to do this or, uh, yeah, it, was, it just always seemed like dumb stuff. Um, and, uh, anything I would have regrets about was my own personal reactions. Like any, any personal actions that I took overseas. Like sometimes you would kind of see yourself become like a monster or like almost like a bad guy you know, but, um, that's the stuff that like later on that bugs you, not, uh, not right away. Ego type stuff, like within inviting, like you're feeling, you have these ambitions to rise up the ranks and you're feeling like the, um, I don't know if it's victim mentality is the right word, but you're feeling something stopping you that shouldn't be stopping you. Yeah. Like I wanted to go to the cool the cool schools and I want to be on the badass team. I didn't like, I felt like I was, um, at one point had some guys on my team that I felt like were holding me back. Like I'm on the, like on the, um, well, you had said B team. So like immediately, I was like, about to say, I was about to say B team, but yeah, like, like JV there actually is a B team. Yeah. I was yeah, JV. Right? yeah there you yeah, go. Right. Like not, not only was I on like JV, but I felt like I was like put in the freshman place. Like these guys don't recognize how good I am. Like, don't they see what I'm doing? You know, like, I saw like thousands of patients. I treated all of them over there. I did this. I, uh, you know, when I was in a firefight, I was, I had a cool head, you know, like I was able to shoot back effectively and like keep cool and all this, like, why isn't this stuff helping me get hired? Why do the only things they care about are political or like this dude must be sucking that guy off or something. That's why he's rising to the ranks. It just didn't, you know, it was, it was like, I didn't know about how to play games like that when I was younger. It was, yeah. I thought everything was merit-based, based, based yeah. off of your performance and all that. I didn't realize it's all working, who you know, and, uh, you know, the, the political games that you could play. Yeah, that, um, that, that's always the weird fear. The fear of, um, I'm good enough, but for some reason, it, it's, it, it's funny. Somebody, somebody told me once for me, they were like, you know what, Sean, I, and I do not mean this as a slur. I just treat you like you're autistic and it helps me to deal with your behaviors because you're so fucking merit driven. Like you, you don't get the social norms that are going on. You're just fucking mission, 
and maybe that's why like I can kind of understand a little bit about what you're going through and connect in yeah. some way because I Absolutely. think I think our personalities are very similar. What's the fucking objective? All right, yeah. like all right, dude, we're running a mile. Cool. All right, well, I'm gonna try to kick your ass. You're gonna try to kick my ass. Whoever yeah. runs faster should then be the best mile runner. Oh, you exactly. need a mile runner? Cool. Yeah. Well, we just did it. You won. You get to be the mile runner. I get to talk shit on you. You get yeah. to gloat on me. Yeah. We get to push each other and then you get to go be that. And it, it's it, it's a weird part of the like society <laughs> that like yeah. it actually matters that like not only can I be good, but I have to be good in the way that you want me to be good. Yeah. For whoever's evaluating you. That's yeah. uh and I have I have like that um anti authority thing going on too. So on top of that, you know, I'm like I don't want to do what you tell me to do. You know, like, I'm not going to play your game, Like you need to see like how good I am for these reasons. And then for that reason, I'm give su- me what I want. I'm surprised. Like, so you needed recommendations in order to get, I guess, what is the goal? Help me understand that. Like, what is your end game? Oh yeah, that's a good point. So when I initially joined up, like my goal wasn't just to be, um, like I wanted to be special operations, but it wasn't just to be a green beret and go into special forces. Like I wanted to do more. So my goal was to um, use that as a stepping block. And then we had these teams that were um, called SIF teams, uh, combat. <clears throat> this is just a dumb acronym. Basically, they were um, like the Delta Force or the SEAL Team 6 of the Green Berets. Each each unit, each group based around the U.S. or the world had one. It was like a, a, a company size and it was six teams, and they were like the door kickers and the snipers. They did the the sexy stuff that you see on TV, right? Oh, They're riding going, in the helicopters and sitting down on rooftops. Dude's and going after through. Bin Laden. Yeah, exactly that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and I wanted to I wanted to do that, and then I wanted to go up and try out for Delta Force. Um, you know the 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 top of the top of special operations, and uh, and then from there, you know, like finish out my military career there and then probably go to the CIA, um, oh, be like a case officer there. And then if, uh, if that doesn't work out or, or do something similar, I want to go to, uh, be a military contractor and, um, do something similar as a civilian, but still operate, you know, in a special operations type of job, uh, overseas and do that kind of thing. When so that was always the goal. Can I, let me pause you for a minute, man, because special operations, I tend to get lost. So if you're an independent contractor, do you just love the unknown of, I don't know what my Monday is going to be. I'm kind of an expert in going to a bazaar and figuring out someone who's peddling weapons and not condoms. Yeah. Like that's, uh, that would be more of like an intelligence, you know, um, contractor type of job and that type of stuff definitely exists uh what i was doing as a private military contractor was um private security in iraq and uh that was my job after i I got off of active duty no Um, shit yeah i've got quite a few different things i did um not just in special operations and i worked for the I worked for a company, like a private company that worked for the State Department. And I pulled, I did security for our diplomats. And we drove around Baghdad and, um, you know, guarded them so they could go and do their diplomatic mission. And then we would take them home. Uh, and uh, that was actually very structured, 
very meticulous. Like you knew what you were doing every day. And that was actually, and, and it turned out to be super boring to me. Like I hated it. (laughs) So I wanted to do more like what you're talking about, like working, you know, a higher, like special operations type field. This, um, even though it was like a company that was started by special operations guys and, and the mission was special in a way, like it required, um, better weapons and shooting handling skills than most and, and, uh, you know, calm under fire and everything. A lot of things that I, you know, brought from special operations. It was more of like a regular security guard. Wasn't really what I was looking for. I thought it was, but once I was doing it, I realized, Oh, Hey, this, this isn't really it. Um, just an itinerary. Yeah. Like it, it, it got, um, some of it was cool and sexy, but most of it was, pretty mundane and boring and but the real draw was the pay like you got paid a lot so that, that was that was probably the the best part of it um are you basically a chauffeur or what was cool like that's hard for me because i picture diplomats just sitting in meetings drinking whatever yeah. beverages and like figuring out some sort of quid pro quo we'll do this you guys do this and then you you drive them back to a embassy yeah, for the most part, that's what it is. But like all the, um, you think diplomats, you know, you think they're going into like a government building that's all nice, like the the Capitol building or the White House or something that is like a, a well developed structure and everything, and they have their own security there and, and and it's relatively safe. But in Baghdad, it was nothing like that. Like basically, um, everything was like. Uh, I mean, it's third world is the best way to describe it. You know, like the, it was pretty beat down. Um, there was danger on the way there and the way back, just getting through even the Iraqi army was painful to deal with because, and their police, because, um, the regular military out, this was like 2011 and, um, they were starting to look at themselves as a sovereign nation and all these private military, they're like, well, the military, the U S military left, but instead they replaced them with all these private military contractors. And these guys are basically just another version of an occupying force. So So they would give a shit all the time. Can I, can um, I pause you just for timeline's sake? uh So when you go over there initially with the special, with special through special operations, Mm -hmm. we're talking about what years? Oh, uh, 2007 up through 2010. Okay. So then, yeah, that, I didn't even think about that either. So when you withdraw and then you enter all these, you need people familiar with how shit works over there. So you hire all these vets to come back as non vets, but private. And then like, did you actually run into anybody that you knew in your new job? Uh, I I ran into guys who knew people that I knew. So uh, it's special operations are pretty, can be pretty small. That's what um, I'm thinking arena and uh so i knew um a guy from 10th group who knew guys that i knew um but uh they also hired a lot of non-special they were they were hiring in numbers at a certain point so while we still did have a we still had to go through a selection training event where like at least 50 percent of the guys didn't make it through so the the standards weren't dropped a lot but they did kind of drop the standards on who they would potentially higher 
Gotcha. So it used to be only special operations people, but then they're like, well, we need more people and there just aren't that many out there. So now it'll be, well, you had to be at least infantry. So you at least had to have some combat arms, some combat experience. And then there were guys who kind of snuck between the cracks who like were like Navy boatmen or something like that, who just held a gun every once in a while type of deal. Marksman. Marksman. yeah, reg- regular police officers and stuff. Yeah, so. you know, I, I thought about applying because I was a summer contracted security guard for a private community in a beach resort, and I thought a lot of sand, a lot of sun. <laughs> I know how to call for help. The That's right what's now. up. <laughs> Let me see. You're a shooter, bro. <laughs> no doubt, I'm a shooter. Just if they need it, dude. Yeah, I, I've really. That's such a selected. that it's such a good point because i didn't think about you guys having to go back there and then like being private how hard was it to be private or did you keep the same mentality of your military mentality or were you able to switch it did you need to switch it uh no it didn't it kind of because it's more of a diplomatic mission and especially if there was combat involved which luckily we didn't get in any gunfights when i was doing it but they uh, they treated it more as like a law enforcement position than they treated it as a uh, military position. So if you're going to fire your gun, there would be an investigation into it. And if you like shot anybody who shouldn't have been shot, like your ass would be on the line. Basically, there's a lawyer attached to every bullet. So I would say that um, it was actually more strict than being in special operations i was thinking about that when we were like joking about the mortar to go take a shit like i bet you that actually happened somewhere oh absolutely because like i i was thinking about the gunnery dude up there just going off and i'm like all those fucking rounds you you think of what we see in the news with accountability of three shots were fired two went to this place one went here here's the body cam footage blah blah and and now you're like this dude's just fucking emptying his clip like he's emptying a box because some dude owes him money or whatever. Yeah, it, exactly. It, it's like the freedom to do that um, would be intoxicating. Would be yeah, I missed, fucking intoxicating. Yeah, I missed it. There was de- there was definitely a power trip that came with being like, like the basically the sheriffs of the Wild West. Right. You know, we were like the the um you know, some kind of posse out there just fucking doing whatever we wanted in order to accomplish the mission. Regulators. Regulators. Yeah, regulators. That's it. That's what I was looking for. (laughs) (laughs) That's a old school. That's old school. Hell yeah. Good grief, dude. Um, fuck Trey, man. I, um, I'm so pissed. I probably should ask you to come on at eight because, uh, I don't know if you have to work tomorrow, but I have to go change minds. I'm in this, I'm in this weird the schools are in this weird time where like grades are in and you're basically like babysitting and you're just trying to have the kids to have fun, especially with COVID. So I'm in Delaware. The COVID Uh regulations have been fucked up. Kids are still in masks. Like they're still awkward around. Yeah. Still awkward around each other. So you can, you're on the vaccination honor, honor system, but like you go grocery shopping, you go to bars, you, you go, to restaurants, no mask. Everything's back to normal, 100%. Right. As soon as you come to school, stay apart. Yep. <laughs> Wear your mask. And it, <laughs> it, it's like, it, it's such a weird fucking end of the year. It's not how it should be for kids, man. Yeah. But anyway, all that to say, like, I do have that tomorrow. Um, 
But I don't want you to rush through this, my friend, because you're such a good fucking storyteller. Um, <laughs> Thanks, man. Feel, feel free to take this in any direction you want. Okay. All right. Cool. And actually, let me um, try to publicly embarrass you. Do you know how the podcast end since you said you listened to a couple? Fuck. I want to say I do because I, I know I've heard the end of one of them. Okay. But I'm not 100%. No. All right. Well, dude, you would have been the fourth. You would have been the fourth. You are the 112th guest and Damn. you would have only been the fourth to know what was coming to them. <laughs> Shout out Kristen, Eric, and Jeej if they ever still listen. All right. So Trey, let's do this. Tell a story. Take it in any direction you want. All right. So Ken, no, no, no. I got to set it up. This is me trying um, to be a capitalist. I'm trying to, right. hopefully this catches on if anybody ever cares. Okay, cool, cool. Can I get your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. Best first for last. Ah. See, you were all primed and I fucked it up. Now you're overthinking it. <laughs> no, I think I, I, think I had uh, an idea of uh, what I wanted to tell you about. So you found me on Instagram under my handle operator gator i wanted to get and, into that yeah so operator <laughs> came from you know the special operations operator uh and the gator was a nick another nickname that i picked up actually when i was working at um after the military and after contracting and it was when i was working at the motorcycle shop um i had told a story to my coworkers and basically became gator from then on for them <laughs> because because i had this dog um he was like a son to me basically he was like the the holdover from my divorce and uh so i'd gotten out of the military um gone through some health things and uh ended up getting a divorce like a lot of military dudes do and um moving like i moved somewhere had some family issues, and then the the one like solid structure through the whole thing was my Doberman Koenig, oh, and uh, I do not like where this is going, my friend. <laughs> yeah, he was like five years old at the time, so I expected you know he's going to live to nine to eleven years old is generally what like the purebred lifeline would normally be. Um, and uh, me and my girlfriend at the time we went on a trip to Mexico for a wedding. And we came back and uh, her parents had been watching Koenig and he had had this cough. And they're like, yeah, he just started coughing like a couple of days ago. And I figured it'd be like uh, worst case scenario, heartworm or like a kennel cough or something like that. Mm. And we took him to the vet and immediately they were like, no, it's uh, heart disease. Like it happens to some of these, this the purebred where they get a dilated heart, um, just genetics. It's like one of the main genetic diseases that they have. So if you have a Doberman or any, any breed like that, you got to watch out for like the, the line that they breed them from because it, it comes from, you know, the parents. And, uh, oh. like he only has like a couple weeks to a couple months, unless we put him on this special medicine that you can get. It's really expensive, but it can extend his life up to a year, uh, or more. And so we opted for that and we started taking him to a specialist, a lot of money, Dude, and that, initially, and just to just to pause you for a, a point of empathy, I've known so many people. I, I really wonder, like, as a society, we milk the fuck out of healthcare for people. It, it's yeah. so fucked up in America how we treat people with healthcare. 
Yeah. We have PETA and all these people. How have animals with the costs not somehow been included if you're fortunate enough to have a job with benefits? Why can't you throw family animal in on my benefits, get yeah, the vets point. paid through the insurance companies and whatever, you pay an extra 15, 20 bucks a month? Because between all the medications that people get surprised with, most yeah. people are put in a fucked up position of this is a family member to us. Yeah. Is it worth uh, going in debt or taking away from my children to keep yep. my dog alive that matters yeah. so much? Like people, should I take away from my retirement contributions? Like yep. people are put in that position and it's it's a horrible position to be in. I agree, yeah. It's tough. That was definitely an angle for me because of, you know, I, I treated them. I mean, it's not, there's plenty of people out there with kids. I don't have kids, but, you know, I, I understand um I don't have that, that feeling or attachment that they have, but I see it in them and uh, I had something similar, you know, Dude, not it's, exactly. It's, it's right there. No, on, it's honestly, similar. it's with people, especially people that I know who do not have children, but have an animal. Yeah. It, it's right about there, man. I mean, you're yeah. not worried about like your dog goes and impregnates some bitch. You're like, whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. Like <laughs> you're like uh, me, if that's my son, I don't have a son. I have a daughter, but if my daughter yeah. was impregnated by somebody like uh-huh. there's issues. Me, yeah. I'm like, oh, puppies, it's a dog, yeah. right? Like, I'm not saying that with my daughter, so there's levels. But yeah, the absolutely. emotional attachment, the experience, the care, the yeah. I've raised you from birth basically as a puppy. I did not birth you. Like, yeah. all that emotional attachment and camaraderie is there. It, it really is, man. It's it's something that, um, I, again, a, a great first world problem to have. But yep. some fucking senator needs to have, like, the pet insurance bill. To help, to help for scenarios like this, dude, because people shouldn't have to, just like you shouldn't have to with like a grandmother who needed extra medication. You shouldn't have to with an animal that needs it. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's changing slowly. Like you can, you can buy private, you know, you can buy private health uh, insurance and stuff, but it's nothing like. It's so fucking expensive, man. I know people who have dealt with their dogs having seizures and it's six, $700 a month where people can have insurance and get their gallbladder removed and it's a $200 copay. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, what the fuck are we missing, man? Yep. <laughs> like a vet's yeah. a doctor. Shouldn't they kind of be covered under that umbrella? Um, I agree. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's man. a good I'm, point. Yeah. I just, I just, I, that, that pain of having to make that choice. I just wanted to, uh, I guess emphasize or empathize. Yeah. I don't know what the word is. Be compassionate towards it. Cause yeah. it's a fucked up position to be in. Yeah, I appreciate that. Cause I mean, that really, that really highlights like the the feeling I had going into it. Because initially, you know, we were paying, we were probably, I think we ended up, you know, in the realm of thousands of dollars a month, um, keeping them going. And it would have been fucked up if he was in pain like the whole time and just like suffering. Like there would have been no point yeah. in doing that. Um, and and that was actually kind of what was he had he was doing all right, but there was still his. Like the medication wasn't dialed in yet, I guess. So initially he just wasn't feeling good. And that, this was like October into November of 2015. And then um, we had gone to the vet and then it was more like, oh, he's not doing that great. Okay, we'll, we'll pump up his meds and see how he's doing. But the vet's basically like telling you like, well, if, I mean, if this doesn't work, then, you know, you guys need to they're in the same mindset, you know, they don't want to see him suffer either. So it might be time to, to put him down. And, um, so I was feeling bad. It was a Friday. Um, my girlfriend had just, 
gotten off of work and we had gone to the vet and on the way back from the vet, we we're stopping by target. Um, and I live in Florida in central Florida. So it's swamps out here. And, um, there's everywhere. There's a body of water and in every body of water. There's an alligator and, um, at least one. <laughs> and, uh, so we stopped by target so that she can go in and get an, a gift for white elephant. Cause we're going to go to her work, um, Christmas party. I think it's the very beginning of December, December 4th or 5th. And, um, just a week before I'd been in out in the Midwest visiting my mom for Thanksgiving. And while we were there, she, we had gone through a conversation of how, uh, we had just visited a friend at their lake house and we were swimming in the lake. And she's like, what are you doing swimming in the lake? Aren't there alligators everywhere? Like, yeah, there's alligators in every, in every water, but they leave you alone. You know what I mean? Unless like there's specific lakes you don't go into because they're just over, overpopulated with gators. But you know, for the most part, if you make up enough noise and stuff and you don't go into their nests or whatever, they'll leave you alone. Like they're not going to. Is that a trick? Because they're just not that hungry where they're having to, there's enough natural resources to sustain them where they don't have to go after something so large. Absolutely. Yeah. And they have like alligators have this sense uh, and I'm not exactly sure how it works, but they can tell how big something is and whether or not it's worth going after if they're big enough to go after it. Gotcha. So, if it's like less than six feet, like it's not gonna, you know, it's not gonna do anything to you. And so we we're having this conversation with my mom and, uh, and I'm like, no alligators leave you alone. Um, and something about that kind of like stuck in my mind. And I flew home on some and, uh, walked Koenig, walked the dog. My brother had been watching him, I think. And then he loved playing in the water. Like we always took him down to like a, a river or a retention pond or whatever. And he'd splash around and, and play. So as I'm walking him, I take him down to the water like he loves to do. But now that he's sick, he kind of just sits in the water and kind of cools off. Shit. And there was just something about it. I was sitting there thinking about it. And I was like, man, it just doesn't look right. Like, what about is it like not right? It just one of it breaks my heart because he's not having fun. Yeah. Other thing is like, he's just not like acting like himself. He's not like, he's just, he almost looks like prey, you know, just sitting there like miserable and like defeated. And, um, chum. Yeah. So <laughs> the rest of the, so I, I, like made sure that I was close to the water's edge. Like in case anything happens, like I'll grab them, you know, like worst case scenario, but I don't really think anything's going to happen because you just make a little bit of noise and alligators will run away basically. Cause they, really? you know, they're, they're worried about their own safety too. They're not oh. just going to sit there. So every once in a while, if they're nor if they're used to people, like you go out on a trail that a lot of people walk across, you can get pretty close to them and they won't skitter away. Okay. But for the most part, like a wild alligator, like you come anywhere nearby and you're yeah. making noise, it'll jump in the water and take off. Like it doesn't want to get attacked. Dude, deer. So Delaware is known for deer. Um, same thing. We got state parks where you're not allowed to hunt deer and they'll, I, I've heard it's like moose at, um, <laughs> moose or bears at like state parks out West, like in Montana, where they'll just like come up towards food sources. Oh yeah. Deers yeah. don't give a fuck when they know they can't be shot. But, dude, you come across a deer and they catch your scent and you're, yeah. whatever, 500 yards away. They're gone. Just gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I didn't know alligators acted the same way. I thought they were more predatorial. To be yeah. Honest I mean, they, they are, but um, there's, just something, there's just something about the, the noise. It's like a vibration that they pick up on. Huh. And uh, I think that they just like 
rather safe than sorry. So if they're exposed, like up on the bank, they'll jump right into the water. They hear you coming. Uh, And then they'll get down into where they're safe at, you know, down in the, in the water or something like that. That makes sense. At least that's, that's, that was my experience, especially when I was mountain biking. I'd mountain bike down the trail and then I'd hear this big splash. I could see them at first and then they'd jump. Um, happened to one of my coworkers. He, he used to kayak a lot and he was kayaking <laughs> down the shit, river dude, I and he said, no, why he had a gator like jump over him. Cause he was coming down the river and the gator heard him and it was like, and it, you know, it thinks it's safe spots, the water. And it literally almost jumped like over him coming into the water. He didn't know that's like where he was coming from. From the <laughs> land to the water, not water yeah. to water, not like a dolphin. Oh, no, not like a dolphin. Okay, no. dude, but, at first I was like, Jesus Christ, they're going to take over the world. <laughs> fucking Sharknado. Salt, it's gonna be. Have you seen the saltwater crocs, though? The come straight up out of the water? No. They can get their whole body out with their tail. So they'll come up like that, and then like their tail will keep them almost suspended, oh, similar to how like a whale shit. will come up out of the water. Yeah, right, but they're not pushing against the floor. They're actually no, like they're... moving it back and forth in order to propel. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't shit. seen it. I haven't seen a Florida alligator do that, but a saltwater crocodile. And, um, I saw, I think it was a video from uh, Australia. Do they but do Australia. it to like creep under? So I'm thinking of like a shark snatching up on a seagull, but yeah. that doesn't make sense for a crocodile. Cause they tend to be floaters. Do you know it why? Was, uh, so there's this video of, um, he's holding the chum. It's obviously a, a croc that they've been feeding. Oh, and, uh, they, you know, they did it for their boat tour. Gotcha. And they're holding it on like a line and then it comes, it's probably coming out like this, but then when it sees the, the food above it uh-huh. and it turns like this, it probably drops its tail down and then whips it up. It. And it, it literally, like it was out of the water, like its tail, you could see half of its tail. Straight perpendicular. It. It's pretty wicked. Yeah, um, dude, I had no idea they could do that. Like you don't think about that because you think crocodile death roll, like in a real basic novice way, right? Like. Yeah. Keep the jaw clenched. <laughs> the crocodile yeah, tries yeah. to take you for a death yeah. roll, you know, yeah. and like that's the, those are two basic things. You don't think of them. I've heard they're sneaky fast though on land. Yeah. Like they can, so they, can be, they don't have, so there was always a rumor from growing up that they could sprint up to like 30 miles per hour or something. So like you thought you were safe if you were like 50 feet away from them, but then they could close the distance. Right. That's not, that's not necessary. That's not true. Like okay. they can, they can move pretty quick, but they generally don't. It's usually from the water to the land that they'll be really fast. Oh, and then they'll okay. go back into the water. But once they're on land, they don't tend to chase anybody down. Gotcha. Because their safe spot's the water. That's their advantage. Yeah, exactly. So that's where they're going. Yeah. And, and they makes... can use their they use their tail to propel them forward in the water so they get the extra burst of speed. Whereas on land they just have their four legs. They're not really moving that fast. T Rexes, man. Yeah, they got you know, they like got can't legs. even wipe their asses. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they can climb though. They cl- they'll climb fences and stuff with those little legs. No shit. Is, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, up I to like six feet tall or something like that. I've heard. I've not. Jesus, never heard. Yeah. I'm glad I don't have those problems, man. Because I've heard of like <laughs> people in Florida with fucking alligators. Like you wake up and all of a sudden one's in your pool. Yep. And it's like yeah, you just that. call. You just call whatever. I guess yep. there's a number. And it's yeah. Like, yeah. Department. There's uh there's animal rescues and there there's private ones. Private ones that will come and do it for free. Um, government ones that are supposed to do it, you know, as their job and stuff. Um, it's not as big here in Central Florida, uh, but it's huge down in South Florida. Gotcha. They definitely they have a lot a lot of gators running. I mean, we I guess it's relative. We have a lot too. It just depends. Um, 
So uh, yeah, I totally diverted you, man, to give me a alligator education. So yeah, your I, dog. I I, th- I think I know where the story's going. Your poor fucking Doberman sitting on the bank, looking yep. like prey. Yeah, we were at, so it was that Friday afternoon. Uh, I was in Target. I was walking the dog. I was like, oh, I'm gonna walk him while she's inside because like he's miserable. Hey, there's a lake right next. I'm gonna go walk around this lake. So I'm walking around the lake with him. We actually have to break brush to get into it. Like it, it they obviously had grown on purpose. Um, but they left the trees and the underbrush and everything up uh, around it. So instead of having a fence, they had like a natural fence yeah. around it. But I don't care about that sort of stuff because I'm a knucklehead. And uh, <laughs> so I walk Koenig in there through the brush and uh, he goes and sits in the water. Um, and I remember thinking, like remarking on it in my head, like, oh, this place is like a lot different than a normal retention pond, you know, man-made one. Like this looks relatively wild. You know, it's pretty big. There's a bunch of trees around it, big, big brown water, like, and it's windy out. So it's kind of the waves are rippling a little bit. And uh, again, he starts sitting in the water. So I crouched down close to him. And one of the mistakes I made was I didn't know, I didn't make any noise, I guess, when I was creeping uh... over Cause I was just in such a somber mood. Like I was kind of, we were both like feeling kind of miserable. Fuck yeah. And, uh, normally, normally I'd walk up to the water and be like, wow, you know, make noise, whatever, just in case, you know, to be sure. And, um, as I'm sitting there crouched down right next to the shore and looking at my dog, um, I think I'd taken the leash off of him. So he didn't have his collar on or anything. I'd set that down next to me. And I just remember a splash, like a big splash. And kind of a yelp, like a dog yelp, like Hip! yeah. And then he was, and then he was gone. I didn't see anything. Um, and uh, I don't think I thought anything at that point. I just kind of reacted. So I just jumped into the water, and it was up to my thighs at least. So it might have been man-made at one point because when they man-make it, you know, they, they tend to have steep shores. Uh-huh. instead of being like real gradual like yeah. an actual lake like erosion because erosion yeah. didn't do it it was a fucking bulldozer exactly yeah, yeah. F- so i think it was it must have been relatively steep so it went from deep to shallow really quick because when i jumped in i felt pretty deep um up to my leg reaching in water, and i was trying to grab my dog just to grab him pull him back or like i wasn't really thinking very much at the time so i was just grabbing for anything and i remember feeling scales like feeling something hard when I went underneath and, and I latched onto it, and pulled. And when I pulled, um, like I was, can't remember how I was oriented. I think I was oriented away from shore. Yeah, I had to have been. And when, uh, when I pulled, all I remember was being on my ass. Like I don't remember getting tripped, but I think what happened was the gator was facing um, parallel to shore. Cause my dog had been like this and I think it came up and grabbed him and pulled him under uh, parallel to me. Mm-hmm. And when I jumped in, I was facing him and I had reached down like this. I had turned my upper body sideways and reached in and felt that and pulled. And when I did that, I think it freaked the gator out and he turned on me. Like he turned 90 degrees and whipped me with his tail. And he, I think he scratched my hand because I have a scar. I, I had that. a big cut that went across my hand right here. Um, and, um, The next thing I know, I'm looking, I'm sitting on my ass against the shore, kind of in the water a little bit, and my left leg is in the alligator's mouth, like, just across it like that, you know, parallel to it. Like, my, my, um, 
leg was uh, like inverted. You know, like if you're if you're sitting Indian style. Yeah. I was kind of sitting Indian style, and my left leg was in his mouth, like, and this alligator was just looking at me with his little eyes. I remember, like, burned into my brain, and I'm just like, "What the fuck?" And I, the whole time, I like, I kind of lost my mind. I think a little bit because I was yelling the whole time. So if anyone was nearby, they would have heard me and being like, "Someone's being murdered," because <laughs> I was just like, ah! like that, no and just screaming. Like when I initially jumped in to like grab my dog to grab Koenig. I was yelling, um, let him go. Like, like he understands person. English. Dude, where yeah. is Kunik? Is Kunik on the shore? Do you know where your dog is or you got no idea at this point? So yeah, once I saw the alligator, like with my leg in his mouth, I had, I, I, I hadn't like, you know, surveyed the air or anything. Mm-hmm. All I started doing was like dropping hammer fists Yeah. on the top of the alligator's head. Like, I feel like it was around where his eyes were, but I don't really know. It wasn't very like accurate. And I probably got off like three or four. And it felt like kind of like an eternity. And um, it to me, it felt like, you know, when like the little kids have the little Tyco like uh, air hammer that they're hitting, like it goes, <laughs> boop, 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 boop. That's what I felt like I was doing. Yeah. Like, I was like, boop, Whack-a-mole boop, around these boop. parts. You yeah. get the big ass not hammer. Really, not really doing anything to this alligator. <laughs> and, they're um, fucking dinosaurs, man. They're not worried about yeah. you. You bipedal. Yeah, he didn't care at all. He didn't care that I was smacking him in the face. And so, like, I was just like, okay, I, I don't want to be in the water anymore. Like, I want to get away from him. I didn't really think it was going to work, but I rolled from my butt and back to my right side, like, basically onto my chest and just was trying to scramble up the shore. And your foot's and, still, or your leg's still in the alligators? Yeah, and my my leg is still in the alligator's mouth, so I thought I was going to have to, like, yank it out of his mouth, you know, try and do something to get it get it back i was like i just need my leg back you know please and as soon as as soon as i'm on my i'm I'm sorry you didn't try to de-escalate the situation in order to keep the alligator safe to help him realize that he didn't have the type of prey that he had originally anticipated listen mr gator listen i'm not the food you want (laughs) sir if we can just come to a mutual understanding about both of our desires I do have exceptional credit, and Target has a bounty <laughs> of raw There's meat. Tons of meat in Target. You're, I mean, you're, we're right next door. I'll just go get you some. <laughs> that would have been the woke. That, that would have been the woke thing to do, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what cut do you want, man? I'll get you a nice London broil, you know, a T-bone. But the next time you do this, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, it's on. Chicken gizzards. That's it. <laughs> and you know what? Non-processed. Not even organic. I'm getting store-bought yogurt for you. That's right. <laughs> That's so stupid. I don't even know if your dog's safe at this point. I'm cracking jokes. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd be able to tell this story the same way if he was... Uh, I'm hoping so. I was so fucking hoping so because sometimes I go out on a ledge and I'm like, Jesus. Sorry, not to be a spoiler. I'm sorry. So, yeah, so as I'm like pull, scrambling up the, the shore, like the sandy... And it's not really sandy. I guess it's just dirt shore. Like I'm pulling myself up and I feel like I'm getting farther away from the water than I thought I would be. Like I, cause you know, I'm dragging an alligator with me. Yeah. So I turn around to look back and it's not there. It's just completely silence, like gone. That's and, weird. uh, like just overwhelmed with relief, like unbelievable. Um, so the first thing I do is, uh, stand up I think I think I stand up first and and when I did like 
I had like this weird thought in my head, like you're going to stand up and then you're going to fall over because your legs snapped in half. So why are you standing up? But I still did it. And then I looked down at my leg and I was wearing trousers, like uh, not chinos, but some kind of slacks. I was wearing slacks and they were, um, first of all, I was like soaking wet, but then uh, the left leg was like in tatters. Like I could see through the, the shredded um, pants and I actually, I was just like, okay, let's make sure it's not bleeding out of control. Obviously, it's not broken because I'm putting weight on it. Um, but let's make sure that it's not like arterial bleeding because I'm a medic. And yeah. I have a tourniquet. I have a tourniquet in the car and I'm going to go get the tourniquet and put it on my leg. Those are the first things I'm thinking about. And then I look in there and I don't see um, bright red bleeding. I just see a little bit of like dark red oozing. So I know I'm good for the time being. And this probably took like half a second. And then I look up and... And I see Koenig sitting there on shore, like looking at me, like, what the fuck, yo? Like, what was that all about? And you're like, I thought you had one job, Koenig. Keep me safe. <laughs> Bro, you're supposed to job. protect me. No doubt. <laughs> fucking Doberman? Doberman's not like you're, you're a chihuahua. <laughs> like, first, yeah, yeah. So the whole thing was unbelievable. I'm like, first of all, you're a big dog. Like, what kind of fucking alligator is going to attack a big dog? Um, I mean, how big do you think the gator was? I say, I always say is between six to eight feet. And when I look at like a six foot gator, I feel like that's too small. But then I look at like an eight foot gator. I'm not really sure. It's hard to, it's hard to tell, but it wasn't like a, it wasn't a baby. That's for sure. Is there any sort of like bite mark radius? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? uh, Like to gauge size? You can see the teeth marks in my leg, like on where, you know, the width of the jaw. Right. And it's, I mean, it's pretty, it's relatively wide. Um, so like when you look at alligators head, they tend to grow out longer. Uh, they do get wider as they get uh, older okay. and bigger, but as they get bigger, they tend to get longer, mostly gotcha. not necessarily wider. Like, so at a certain point, they're only so wide, Gosh, yeah. but even based off of that, I still think like, there's no way it was below six feet. So God, I want to assume, yeah, it was, it was, rel- it was pretty fucking big. Like, it wasn't. It wasn't a small gator, but then it wasn't like massive to where it like bit my leg off and just took off with it. You yeah, know, because I've always thought it's almost like the Rottweiler syndrome. When they bite, they don't bite and hold. I thought they bite, they bit and like shook. Yeah, so do they kind of do. Saying? Yeah, so they bite and then um, they'll drag the prey underwater and then like spin it and disorient it. Oh, that's and the death they- roll. That's, yeah, and then they then they um, hold on to it, and then they hold on to it and drown it. That makes sense. So they don't want to bite and just rip off whatever. Yeah. Like they're not trying to like rip off your calf like a chicken wing. They, they actually want to bite to hold you. Yep. So they don't want to. Unlike a dog. Got you. Got you. Got you. Yep. Got you. Okay. I was all fucked up on that. Yeah. So when I so when I went up to like I immediately walked up to him and I'm looking him over. He's all soaking wet, but I don't <laughs> I don't see any bite marks anywhere and he's standing on all four legs and he seems like pretty good like there doesn't really seem to be anything wrong with them but you know i'm not 100 percent. dogs have loose skin so you know like if they especially around their necks and stuff so like if another animal like latches on that loose skin is a protection you know so that it'll bite and pull that but not necessarily injure you know anything underneath um so i know there's potentially something wrong with them but i'm not exactly sure and we've got a little bit of a, a, a hike back to get to my car. So not really that far, but now my leg, now I start to feel it. Like there's some pain in my leg. And um, 
it feels like it just got smashed. Like I don't, there's no other explanation other than like a, a crushing feeling. Like someone probably hit it with like a baseball bat. Maybe that's yeah. like the best. Again, how, what percent of people can relate to that feeling? Yeah, I think it might be less than before. <laughs> right, like, I'm thinking to myself, like, fucking, how many, like, tough guys, how many goons have been sitting there firing an Uzi at someone when they drive the car and pin them between the building and the hood, yes. right? Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. Like, like, what's the percent? I don't know, probably less than one. Yeah, probably less than one. <laughs> yeah, right? That's what, I, that's what I was thinking as I'm, like, hobbling back to the uh, car, with uh Kunig was next to me and um I, I i remember i didn't have my leash with me he was just walking next to me and i just completely forgotten his leash and collar back there i didn't even think about it at the time we actually went back and got it the next day and the next day um my girlfriend she saw the alligator like we both saw it so cherry, basically cherry bombs What's that? You're just lighting fireworks and throwing it at the motherfucker. <laughs> oh, I, I brought my gun with me. I brought my gun and I'm like, I'm going to shoot it. She's like, you're not going to shoot it. You're not going to shoot it. So, like, damn right. I'm going to shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not see happy Gilmore? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we know how this ends. Tubbs. Was his name Tim Tubbs? Chubbs. Yeah. Chubbs. <laughs> this is for Chubbs. Yeah. This one's for Chubbs. <laughs> motherfucker. Um, yeah. So she stopped me from, uh, from blasting it we, we ended up getting the uh the leash and collar back it was laying there on shore um but i had lost a, a pocket knife that was in my pocket i always have a pocket knife on me like a nice one too i think it was a bench made like one of the automatic ones and uh she always gave me shit for that ever after and then she's like you always carry a knife on you always <laughs> you're always ready to use it and then the time comes to use the fucking knife and you lose it <laughs> you don't even pull it out <laughs> God. yeah um dude i'm just wondering like what she said not then but like do you oh. get in the car and wait like what's she coming out with this christmas gift do you just say yeah, yeah. hey can so you go this... back in and get me a pair of 3230s and like yeah, roll? See, i mean you would assume the story is over there like but it just gets more <laughs> retarded <laughs> like as i'm as i'm walking back to the car like i'm like no one's gonna fucking believe this like this is unbelievable like, I can't even believe this happened. Like, what is going on right now? I'm like, of course this happened. Like, not only did I have, like, bad news earlier, but now I get bit by a fucking alligator. Like, how many people have this happened to? And um, so I'm, like, having this internal, like... Dialogue. Uh, dialogue going on as I'm walking back, <laughs> hobbling back to the car. But also at the same time, like, I got, like, a little bit of an ego or something going on, too, because I'm like, I just got bit by an alligator. I made it out of it. I'm a fucking badass. Like, what the fuck? Combat in Target. Yeah. He means Afghanistan. Yeah, I know. So then we get back to the car. I get in my car. I drive around to the front of um, Target. My phone is in the car. So as I'm driving around to the front, I'm calling her on the phone. And uh, she's not picking up. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm like all hopped up still. Like, I'm going to go in there. So then I park the car up out front. I, I leave it unlocked, but it's running. The dog is sitting in the passenger seat. Koenig's there. And I walk around soaking wet. My whole, even my hair, everything's wet. My um, left leg is in tatters. And then I was wearing these white van shoes. And because they were white, the left one was completely red. Like it was, it was like saturated in blood. And 
I'm walking through the front, you know. Internet. I'm sorry, dude. All I got was blood red vans and then your internet. Allah is really fucking with us, man. I know. He doesn't want me to tell his story. (laughs) You told told Allah's secret out and now he's just getting you. (laughs) That's probably true. Um, Oh, yeah. So so I'm walking in and no one's no one's giving me the time of day. Like not even one person remarks upon my appearance at all. It was the strangest, like out of body type of experience ever. And I was like looking around, like, I'm like, how does no one see this? Like, this is not normal. You know what I mean? Like I'm hobbling through there. I'm soaking wet, like dripping everywhere. And, um, no one's paying attention to me at all. And as I come through, cause I figured like people would stop and be like, Hey, are you okay? Like what's going on? Can we Something. help you? Basically. Nothing like that happens. Everyone's just my business. And, um, She's still not picking up the phone. I probably call her two or three times. And uh, so I actually yell at one of the cash register, like the cashiers. And I'm like, hey, I'm like, where's the the microphone thing for the store? Because I was going to get on it and be like, yo, uh, Michi, I need you to come to the front. I've been bitten by an alligator. You know, something like retarded. And uh, just to be dramatic. Yeah, just to be dramatic. Yeah. But uh, right, the, the cashier's like, you got to talk to customer service is what she said. I don't know what that had to do with anything. And then so I, right then I get a call back from her on the phone. So I pick it up. And I'm like, hey, um, Koenig just got attacked by an alligator. We got to go to the hospital. And apparently she said that she was like at her paying. She had already had everything laid out on the belt and was like about to pay. And she just looked up at the um, cashier and was like, I got to go. And just turned and <laughs> ran off, left everything there. And uh, the weirdest part was she walked right past me. She headed like right out the door. Gotcha. And I was like, this is insane. Like this whole thing is insane. So I turn around, follow her out, like hobble out the door, back to the car. I see her like looking in the window of the car and she sees Kuna right there. She's like, oh, Kuna looks fine. I thought he said he got attacked by an alligator. So I'm walking past her. I'm like, hey, get in the car and check Koenig out, make sure he's okay. Um, I'm going to drive us to the hospital. So I get in the driver's seat, turn and um, take off. And then that's when I tell her, like, I was like, yeah, I got, she's like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, it bit me. She's like, it bit you, it bit Koenig and you. And I'm like, yeah, it got both of us. And um, she's like, do you want me to drive? And I'm like, no, I'll be fine. And uh, literally I wish I could show you like Google maps right now, but everything <laughs> in the is like within a quarter mile of each other, like in the same couple blocks. Okay. So I literally drive like down the road and take a left, like not, not even a quarter mile away. And then there's a little, one of those standalone ERs. I love those. Got a docs. We got it, uh, <clears throat> a bunch of got a docs around here in walking clinics. Yeah. That, and that's what it, but then they actually turned it into a full hospital now so now it's like a massive hospital okay yeah um but at first it was just a standalone er and uh i go then we go walking into it i actually brought koenig with me into it and i'm like hey she's like how can i help you and i'm like i got bit by an alligator and she's like what and she jumped up and looked down at my leg and she's like oh my god and then goes out and grabs a wheelchair comes back in um i uh get in the chair and she's like wheeling me back to a room like, just like, what is going on? How did this happen? And then, uh, so she's talking to me 
we're halfway back and they're like, oh, you can't have your dog in here. Like, I'm like, what? That's fucked up. Like, but it's why a not? therapy dog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, they convinced uh, my girlfriend to take him um, back to the front and wait out front while I go to the back. And uh, he's soaking wet. So they give her one of those white hospital blankets to help like dry him off. And uh, so I'm back there getting treated. And then she comes up to my room a little bit later, like 10 minutes later. Her family showed up. She called my parents. My parents uh, showed up. And then, uh, so we had like a bunch of support there and everything. And, but she's breaking down crying. She's like, oh my God. She's like, I used the white blanket to dry off Koenig, but he's, I found there's blood on it. Like there's blood on the blanket. So he's hurt. And uh, we're like, oh no. So literally just on the other side of the road, because you're, now we're looking at like a square pattern, is the vet take the dogs to. It's one of those, um, not Petco, but the other one, Pet Store or whatever it is. Okay. And it's yeah. got the it's got the band field that's attached to it. So the the vet one. So they take him across there to the vet. And apparently the story they took up. Uh, so Koenig was fine. He got bit <laughs> twice. It, he pulled up the first bite, like brought him under. And then it, it tried to bite him again to latch on him. So there are two bite patterns on him. Okay. But they were just basic puncture wounds and nothing like nothing it didn't break any bones and it didn't um like tear into his muscle where it was just mostly skin dude so that seems him. lucky as hell man like the, the yeah. alligator again the force that you always see on nature channel or whatever they find yeah. they, they snap you like a chicken bone yeah i just i watched there's this guy i follow on um, instagram called gator boy and he's uh he's like a wildlife expert and he, he mostly handles alligators and rescues them and does all that kind of stuff he was just showing a video today of their bite force and it was a smaller gator. It was like a six foot gator. And it, it's, it was incredible. Like just the smack smack yeah. of the, of its bite force, you know, it was crazy. Um, and, uh, it makes sense cause my leg like hurt so bad, like it swelled up and I was kind of worried about compartment syndrome where it gets too tight, cuts off all blood flow. And then you have to have like kind of a surgical procedure to release the pressure in it. That makes sense. But, um, Luckily, that didn't happen. They just gave me some a bunch, a ton of antibiotics because they say that alligator bites are super uh, microbial. Like they're really dirty, and, uh, and they didn't want to close at all. With it. Like rabies, I, I just thought of this for some reason. Like I think of possums, I think of raccoons. I'm I don't like, think so. I think that yeah, I don't. I don't think I got rabies. I, I think they that's not something that they get at all. Like dude, yeah, reptiles just don't get rabies. Yeah, Sorry, I don't think that they was do. just yeah. a weird ass question. But um, no, um, I think. No, that's a good one because I think that's something that we brought up, you know, is like, do I need a rabies shot or something like that? And they're like, no, they don't, they don't get rabies. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Okay. You know, I might have, I have to actually have to look that up though. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to like, um, I don't know, like poke holes in your story or any shit like oh, that. Sure I guess kidding. I was just, yeah. I was like, you fucking liar. Alligators have rabies. Yeah. Everyone knows yeah, there's it. There's tons of rabies. There's all kinds of alligators. <laughs> but yeah, it makes sense. They'd be dirty as hell if you're in a retention pond with no fucking yep. whatever oxygen stuff. But Just then I was thinking, underwater. like, what else could go wrong? Oh, I caught rabies from an alligator. And I'm like, yeah. salmonella? <laughs> could I get salmonella from an alligator? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. It probably would be salmonella over rabies, I bet. Um, yeah, I guess not. I, I want to say rabies, too, is, like, only for mammals. But I could be wrong. That feels right. It feels yeah. right. In my maternal instincts, it feels right. <laughs> <laughs> when I worry about my babies. My mother bear instincts, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um. 
Sorry, dude. I just sidetrack you all the time. In, in oh, no, you're stories. good. You're good. So the dog made it out, a couple of puncture wounds. and Yeah, so the story that the vet was telling was like, they're like, we're pretty sure we know that gator because um, – Stop. You can't, you can't move gators from where they live because if you move them, they'll just try to go back to where they were. Like they oh. – you can't really move them very far away. Uh, like a nuisance gator either has to be killed or it has to go to like a rescue somewhere and like be taken like far away or something Fenced like in. that. Yeah, you yeah. can't just take him across the street because then he's just going to walk back across the street to go back to where he was before. So they're like, we, or the, the nurse over there or the vet tech over there is like, we're pretty sure that that gator already ate someone else's dog. Like, so like it's, they, that's what she said. This is, you know, second, third hand story. That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and then not only that, but the nurse that I was, um, being treated by said that they think it's the same gator that was there at the, because they're building a giant hospital on the area, not just the standalone place. Um, they're doing a bunch of construction and they thought that that was the gator from there that they moved because they were doing construction. So they think that Florida Fish and Wildlife came and got it and moved it across the highway and put it in that pond because it was out there and there's construction workers and they're basically destroying its habitat anyways. So they might have, it might've been, and then she had a picture of it, um, which she actually gave to me. So she like texted it to me. So I have a picture (laughs) of a alligator. I don't know if it's the same alligator, but you're attacking. Yeah. I tell people it might be it. Um, do you and like then, put uh, its face on top of the dummy that you box with, or is that your like workout motivation? <laughs> get you right before a hard set. <laughs> I'm coming for you, and I play the Rocky theme song. Just training. <laughs> That's my motivation to train every day. Always on my ass, and I'm just working on get ups. That's right. Working on counter rolls. <laughs> just tons of Turkish get ups. Anything to get from the ground up as fast as possible. Right. God. Wrestling moves like flying elbows and shit. Yeah, dude, that, I mean, like, that's kind of fucking eerie to hear, though, because you think, whatever, I don't know who has the balls. A great white bites you, and if they don't try to leave, you're told, punch it right in the snout, right? Like, stun right. the shark. Yeah. You're hearing a couple of, knows. yeah, right? You're hearing a couple of blows from you, and you're, like, I mean, I don't know if you're yoked. I believe you're yoked. You're, you're pretty <laughs> fucking fit, man. And, like, to hear that, like, the alligator's just like, whatever. Yeah, I, 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 I had not thought about that. I think I would have done the same thing, expecting one right. strong hit, it stuns it, go. and it's like, I'm not trying to battle like that. Right, yeah. That's what I did. It was like, I just felt like, I felt like I was there for an attorney just smacking it on the top of his head. I probably realistically only landed like three or, you know, three or four blows, maybe. And it was probably only a couple seconds. Yeah. But it felt like forever. And in that time, like my brain is like working overtime and I'm like, I got to get out of here. This isn't working. Let's try something else. And I, that's when I had rolled, you know, to try Fire and just scramble. Man. Yeah. Scramble away if I could like, you know, kick it, kick it or something with my other leg. I don't, I don't know what I was trying to do. Just get away from it. I remember that. Dude, it's, it's one of those things where, and I have not, um, belt wrestled with many a man, um, in my day. <laughs> But it's one of those. Don't do the belt wrestling, the where, stand-up bear where wrestling. Afghans do. <laughs> where like night wrestling. there are instincts within you that are really cool when they come out. Where like somebody grabs you or you're fucking around with your boys or whatever, and then all of a sudden uh-huh. you're like, 
I didn't realize I was limber or yeah. I didn't realize I was elusive and you're like I just, spinning I just out of guy. shit. Yeah. And you just don't even know how your hands knew to be here, your head knew to bob this way, your hips yeah. knew to get here and you're finding leverage or something. You're like, Whoa, like I've never yeah, this- done that, but it's, it's, it, it's primal. It's instinctual to absolutely. Escape, yeah. You know, There's something like built into our midbrain there, you know, yeah, like cause our, you're, our reptilian brain. you're hardwired to fucking survive. You're, you're not exactly. hardwired to be prey. Mm-hmm. Like we're apex fucking humans mm-hmm. are apex. Yeah. You can't, you can't argue against that. Like obviously humans are the apex predators on earth now, yeah. you know, thank cause of tools, not cause of our ability. Yeah. Uh, to- yeah technology. <laughs> yeah. Not physically. <laughs> That's something, um, it's yeah. funny going to the Joe Rogan podcast. He um, I had this dude on who I tried to get on my pod and I didn't know he went on Joe Rogan. It fucking happened to me twice, dude. I messaged, <laughs> dude, I messaged two guys where I read articles about them in the Atlantic uh-huh. and like trying to go through their publicist. Hey, do you want to come on? And um, one of them almost did. They sent me all these like questions about when do you release what type of questions do you ask who are your oh, top wow. rated ga- guests and i was like holy shit this is gonna happen yeah and, they're serious yeah right and then they were like you know upon further review we're not gonna come on and then fucking two days later they're on joe rogan's podcast and i'm oh, like oh shit motherfucker <laughs> but one of his things um <laughs> one of his things the guest was Humans are able to be together because we can socialize enough to pass on knowledge that helps uh, each other Yeah. versus you put two chimps in a room. Like if you and I, and we're doing this through a Zoom, if you and I met at a bar, maybe one of us would leave. Right. Primates, they just fucking want to kill each other where yeah. humans are smart enough to evolve symbiotically to dominate other animals. Yep. And it's a very unique trait within us. Um, and he, his whole thing, he wrote the book Drunk. Um, he was like, oh, because that guy, I yeah, just listened to that. Oh, dude, dude. It was so yeah. fucking good, right? Yeah, it's really good. Dude, holy like shit. it it really is a basic thing where you're like, holy shit, like having fermented wine and cutting down your cerebral cortex or your prefrontal lobe where it's like you're no longer an enemy. I can yeah. almost like what you were talking about with the translator, where you're able to understand, yep, like read these cues and almost suppress these primal instincts to dominate kill you but yeah exactly i can trust you you can trust me we're gonna work together for some sort of common good of survival yeah it it it, so it anyway all that to say like the story reminds me of like how fucking primal we can be when we need to yeah that's true yeah i mean it's just like absolutely the like there was nothing there was no problem solving skills or, or intelligence or anything that I brought to the table that allowed me to make it through that situation. It was all just natural ability, like something that came, like you said, primal yeah. in it, nature. Yeah. It, it's kind of fun. And basically, I guess <laughs> drinking takes you to the point where you're a kid. Getting bit by an alligator takes you to the point where you're a chimpanzee. And you're just fucking yeah. thriving in your natural habitat. Yeah, I just turned into a fucking killer chip, man. Dude, did <laughs> a you psychotic see, ape? <laughs> did you see that documentary? I think that's on Amazon. It's definitely from National Geographic, so maybe it's Disney Plus now. Did you see the chimp so. documentary? Uh-uh. Oh, you'll fucking love it, man. Basically, yeah, two chimps. It, it's talking about how they develop their hierarchies and uh-huh. how they constantly test the alpha, and then uh, how they can get so aggressive to work together in order to combat a neighboring tribe to take their resources. So we don't have enough fruit. We don't have enough sweets. We're fucking coming to get you. 
<laughs> and it, it it's pretty amazing how savage they are. That's, I was just about to say that's savage. <laughs> oh, dude, it, it, it's beyond. You see their teeth. You think a dog is scary when they like yeah. snarl at you? It's nothing compared to a fucking chimp, man. Like their wow. their mouths are made to slaughter. That's crazy because I've heard um, Joe Rogan talking about it, and then uh, some hunters that go on these Africa trips who they talk about some African hunters that actually hunt these chimps, but how. Um, like you're talking about how organized and it's, it's, it's funny. Cause like you and me, whatever, like I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say you would be the alpha in our two man pod right now. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm pretty confident. The fact that I'm drinking wine, you're drinking water. I'm going to go with you (laughs) as the alpha based on Instagram (laughs) videos. Now maybe running, I got a chance. I don't know what your miles per hour, yeah, if you're a distance a great runner. runner. You'll definitely beat me. Right. So that's my advantage. I would like slap you and then just take off. That, that would be my strategy. But like, I, I feel like, again, if it was a running thing, you would relent to my strengths and recognize them. We would adapt. Right. Where the chimps are like, you're the fucking alpha, you're leading, you run, uh-huh. we follow because you've right. defeated us. And yeah. that, that to me is just such a cool evolutionary um, distinction. Yeah. Dude, so... It's, a, it's almost like that merit-based thing we were think, talking about earlier. Yes, where you can get away from the, my role is captain. I even feel mm-hmm. like in the military, sometimes, whatever, you're a captain, but the sergeants, like you had said, really know mm-hmm. what the fuck is going on. Yeah, exactly. They're not so prideful that they're like, I'm the captain, I'm going to make this happen. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. Yeah. God. And then the people who do do that, you know, get, you know, they're generally frowned upon and you don't really want to work for that person anyways. No doubt. Cause then you're like, what's the point of us having these brains and metacognition mm-hmm. and being aware yeah. in order yeah. to pass information on? Like, why yeah. are we not going to use that? We're just going to rely on some stupid ass hierarchy. Exactly. No yeah. Jesus Christ, dude. So just so you know, um, 45 minutes you may have and i want you walking away feeling good you've uh-huh. lasted the longest on the best first for last hell yeah that's what's up all right <laughs> <laughs> dig it dude that was uh, that was a like that was a tale yeah man fucking dog god yeah Trey, man, dude, I, I'm I'm so glad we're able to figure this out, man. I'm so sorry I have to work, although it's probably better because I don't know if a six-hour pod does anybody good. But <laughs> it, like, yeah. like, there's still I don't know, man. I with every time you brought up a tale, my mind went in like five different directions of shit I wanted to talk about, and I almost had to like I don't know try to center myself, man. Um, <laughs> I feel the same way. Like I, I have like so much more to say, you know, during each story and. So many more stories to talk about. But, yeah, no you know, doubt. Dude, only dude. so many hours. No, yeah, no doubt, man. Um, I'm, we'll be in touch, though. I, I loved having you on, man. I loved um, listening to you. Thank you so much for your service, and thank you so much for letting people get to know you, man. And honestly, um, something that. with uh, John, whose pod, um, this will be up afterwards, so his pod will be up by the time people will get to this. But like, it was one of his things where he even doubted if he wanted to post it because he was like, I- I've never expressed my vulnerability of how bad I was coming home. Yeah. And and I think it's awesome when vets can come out and help normalize that. Like, that's just the emotion you're going to experience. Yeah. After all that adrenaline, man, like you're fucking sick with power. You're, you have this hubris and now you're working retail or he's working in a fucking restaurant. Like 
it, it, mm. it's normal. And um, I've had police officers who have dealt with um, PTSD. She actually, oh, um, she wanted to call it PTSI. She preferred to refer to it as an injury, not a disability. Yeah, a lot of people say that they decide they call it PTS or it's not so much a, you know, a syndrome or, or a disability. It's yeah, more it, it, it's an injury that you overcome. And I thought that exactly. was powerful. And I just really appreciate when people, especially kick-ass guys, can like come on and be like, yeah, it was fucked up, but yeah. I can make it through, right? Like yeah. it's fucked up, but you can make it through, man, because you don't want to hear people who sacrifice their time, their their youth. And then come home feeling like shit. Like it, it, yeah. it should not be. So thank you yeah. for doing all that. Long way to say, yeah, it, man. Yeah, it gets, it gets, it gets better. You know, for anyone else who's out there still suffering. Like I have a friend who definitely is in a disorder still, and uh, it's still have. It's been you know ten years now. He's still having problems with it. So it's um. But there, I also have uh, quite a few other people who you know work past it. There's definitely hope for anyone suffering from. PTS, PTSD, anything like that. Any yeah. re in, reintegration issues. Those yeah, are, right. That almost seems like it'd be a better way to get it. Like you just got to fucking get used to a new normal. Like exactly. not, not to be super COVID-y with new normal, wear a mask all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like it, it's, it, it's, he was telling me stories. Fuck. I tried to end and then here I go talking again, but like he was telling me stories about his, um, trying to receive counseling through the VA system. And I don't know if you experienced this, but, I've done a lot of it. Yeah. Dude, he he got rejected the first time. They were like, sorry, we called you to cancel your appointment. And he was like, I, I, I fucking live two hours away. Yeah, you guys, can't do that. <laughs> like, like, dude, I, I didn't get your call 30 minutes ago that my appointment was like, fuck that, dude. I came up here. You're seeing me. I got to get some help with this shit. I'm not right. Yeah. And he was so adamant about it. He wound up being seen and it helped him no. to then process. And wow. You hear that sounds uh, similar to somebody somebody else I know had to do something similar. It, it um, shouldn't be where it, they realize like, oh, you're because there's there's unfortunately with the VA there's so many people who are for like lack of a better term fakers. You know, like they don't really have the problems that they just want the attention or they or they think they have it, but it's it's not the same thing. Like they they just didn't go through. You know, there's so few people who've gone through like real combat, anyways. Um, or some kind of significant trauma, but, um, he showed up to the same thing. He's like, you guys are seeing me. Listen, I need fucking help. And just the way that, you know, the way he expressed it, they're like, Holy shit, this is real. Like we got to do some for this guy right now. Yeah. No. And it, it's it, to me, you got to be to a specific place cause you're not trained to be weak like that. Exactly. And, 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 and that, yeah. that, that's where people who fucking whatever your legislators and people who are voting, like, Talk about helping the middle class. Go make a bunch of fucking counselors and yeah. spread them out in satellite offices and uh -huh. have educated people with experiences trained to help people re-enter the world after protecting our freedoms. Yeah, and we're seeing a little bit of that. So the, the VA has been getting better and they do do a lot of um, outsourcing to private clinics and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, like most people don't know that. So you have to ask for it because they don't. They're not, I don't think sometimes they're the best at telling you, but for anyone who like is looking for that treatment, like specifically ask for it and you can probably get it. So you don't have to drive two hours you yeah. know, to go to your appointment. Yeah. He had brought up that same thing, man. And, and that, that's super good to hear. And that's one of those things, regardless of political affiliation. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's just a Trump thing, 
but I've heard several military individuals praise Trump because he seemed to really give a fuck. And he seemed yeah. to really care about what do you need? Oh, you need more bullets? Here are more yeah. bullets. You need yeah. more VA? Here's more VA. Like you're the ones protecting our freedoms. Let's make sure you're protected when you come back to enjoy those freedoms. Yeah, he actually did a lot for it. And in, in fact, I heard someone say that uh, when asked, you know, what do you want your legacy to be as a presidency? He said that I want it to be the for the veterans, the stuff I did for veterans. I want to be remembered for that. I don't know how, how I don't know how much truth is in that, but I've heard it from multiple sources. So yeah, more than likely. Yeah. And, and if and you would assume again with both of us not being googling or duck duck going or whatever, super yeah. like super in on it. it yeah. If you're hearing stories about shit getting better, that has to come from federal funding. Somewhere. You would assume, yeah, exactly. That comes from a president. Yep, exactly. All right, man. I'm waking up to change lives tomorrow. You're waking up to shoot an alligator. Hopefully, or do some crazy shit. I'm training. I'm training to get him back, man. Dude, Trey, it was so great getting to know you, man. I'm uh, I'm so appreciative of your time and your stories, dude. I uh, I had a blast talking to you. Oh, me too, man. Yeah. Anytime you want to do it again, let me know. Yeah, I'll be hitting you up. All right, cool. Yeah. Right, if man. anything, just stay in touch. Oh yeah, dude. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool, man. All right, man. Good night, brother. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. Have a good one. Thanks to Trey for coming on the Getting to Know You pod, for posting those beefy gym pics on Instagram, no homo, but more seriously, for a service to the country and for sharing all of those kick-ass stories. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Thanks to Dewey Crush, the summer's, summer's, summer's most sought-out and coveted East Coast drink for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Unfortunately, I have not been drinking one while reading this ad. I should have, because I would have been smoother, just like Dewey Crush is. Bring a case of Dewey Crush, the delicious, refreshing, ready-to-drink canned cocktail with you for your next summer event to crush it. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. Also, dear listeners, please go to our Patreon. Support the pod for as little as $2 a month. If you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests and want to help us to improve the quality of this podcast. If you have not already, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Those are the three. The word of the pod is STP. I believe it's an acronym, but we're going to count it as a word. STP is the word of the pod. Post that word on any of our social media or tag the Getting to Know You pod when you use it on yours to get a shout out on our very next podcast. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. Want to make it happen? All you got to do is message us, Captain. That's a Roger Roger 10-4. We're out. <laughs>